Hey guys, Ray Russell back one more time. Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, Episode 10. And joining me as always, Steve Ekstat back to talk a little more about WCW Monday Nitro and the WWF's Monday Night Raw program, the whole Monday Night War era. You ever heard of that, Steve? Uh, a time or two. <laughs> yeah. So that's what we're doing. Uh, we, we've already cleared out 1995. It's now 1996 in the world of professional wrestling, at least as far as this podcast is concerned. And we're already on episode 10, and not too long ago, we just completed episode 20 of our sister show, The Wrestling Memory Grenade. We're actually going to touch on that briefly later on in this show for very good reason. But for right now, I think it's time to kick off two more weeks of Nitro, two more weeks of Raw. Are you ready to talk more Monday Night War, Steve? Yeah, man, I'm ready to go. Let's get to it. All right, so like I said, we recently closed out 1995. We did January 1st of 1996 with the Raw Bowl and all that good stuff last week. This week, we move on to January 8th for Nitro and Raw, and it's first up WCW Monday Nitro from Charleston, South Carolina. About 5,000 people in the building here for this show, 2,300 paid. So WCW still can't sell out an arena. I know that will eventually change, but it's funny to see each and every week they're having a tough time even selling out these smaller buildings. <laughs> yeah, it is crazy to think about. You know, you get Hogan, Savage, and all these guys, and you can't even sell out a, a 5,000-seat arena. Right, and of course, I think it's already at this point, Eric Bischoff realizes this is a television product now and not necessarily a house show product or even a pay-per-view product necessarily uh, in the long run, in the grand scheme of things. So obviously he's throwing everything on TV every week as we've seen some of these matches repeatedly. And uh, a little bit different this week, a few few fun matches, I thought, anyway. As the show gets uh, going, it's Eric Bischoff, Bobby Heenan, Steve McMichael one more time. He's got Pepe with him once again, rocking a bomber jacket. And I had to ponder at this point, what the hell does Mongo spend on this shit for his fucking little dog? I mean, I, I know people dress up their dogs, oh, isn't that cute? And they put coats on them and things of that. But every single week, Mongo's got like this nonsense on his dog. And I figure like whatever Pepe didn't take, you know, from Mongo in the money, Deborah probably took the rest when they got the divorce. So it's probably best Mongo spent what he did on Pepe when he did. Yeah, it's a good thing, like you mentioned. Yeah, at least he got some entertainment out of blowing his money on outfits for his dog. Makes you wonder, though, do you think Turner paid for it? <laughs> I, if if Turner paid for it, I'm sure Turner wasn't aware that he was paying for it, but I doubt it. I don't see Eric Bischoff going in for these things. It seems like something Mongo would have been proud of. Like, look what my dog looks like this week. Just <laughs> right. very Mongo-esque. <laughs> yeah. Hey, guys, look how great this is, baby doll. So, <laughs> show gets oh, going, man. though, and we move away from the announcers and to the ring. It's Chris Benoit of the Horsemen, accompanied to the ring by Brian Pillman, taking on Alex Wright. Benoit attacks, and the match gets going right away. He attacks like a Wolverine. Imagine that. Benoit's offense actually gets cheers from the fans. I don't know if you noticed that or not. Yeah, they got a, they got a pop. And again, it's, it's Horseman country, so I'm not surprised. It doesn't matter who's necessarily in that group. They're going to get a pop at some point in this um, area. Maybe, unless your name's Paul Roma. <laughs> well, we won't consider him a horseman. Okay, so we're just picking and choosing. I gotcha. That's all yeah, right. Yeah. Well, then maybe we count. shouldn't. Let's not count Mongo either. Then, if we can, if we can eliminate names. That works. Yeah, but the match gets going, and Benoit's all over Alex Wright for the first couple minutes. They go to the floor. Brian Pillman even attacks Alex Wright at this point, and Pillman just looks absolutely like like an insane person he's got sunglasses on he's doing that face that crazy face he's choking at alex Wright, he's like a complete nut 
on the outside is Brian Pillman here. Yeah, he's not. I don't, it, it's fresh and new, so you don't know if it, this is like the start of the gimmick. So you're not really sure what the hell's going on with him at this point. But uh, yeah, he looks like a wild man. And, yeah, um, it seems I'm like buying it. it seems like even the promoters and the the other higher ups don't even uh, necessarily know exactly what's going on with Brian. What's real and what's not real so to speak. I'm not sure Brian Pillman knew at points what was real and what wasn't real. Once he welcomed this character, he, he changed instantaneously overnight when he joined the Horseman group, and this evolved very fast. And he's uh, full-blown crazy by this point here in 1996. Meanwhile, back in the ring, Alex Wright makes the comeback, does a top-rope back, uh, top backflip, lands on his feet and takes over, nails a top-rope reverse crossbody block, a baseball slide to the floor on Benoit, and Alex Wright ascends the top rope and leaps off the top of the post with a flying body block to the floor. I kind of wish they had gotten an outside shot, a far away shot of that to see how high up Alex Wright really got. Cause you always talk about those drop kicks. He does off the top in the ring, how, how high he looks like he's getting there. I can't imagine what that would have looked like from a further away shot than the camera was right up on him, but really nice stuff by Alex Wright. He actually dominates Benoit for the next several minutes until Brian Pillman winds up tripping Alex Wright up from the floor and Wright puts a kibosh on that immediately. He lands a plancha out of the ring onto Brian Pillman. And then back inside, Benoit and Alex Wright exchange suplex attempts. That was really fun because it wasn't just a vertical suplex or a German suplex. They were both trying all sorts of variation of suplexes, and they continued to trade back and forth until finally it was Chris Benoit with the dragon suplex to pick up the win, 6 minutes, 38 seconds. And then after the match, absolutely disgusting, Brian Pillman walks over to Alex Wright and spits, literally spits right down on him. Yeah, it's pretty disgusting, but this match is really good. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. It was a little sloppy at some points, you know, just it's, and I think that's just Alex Wright because of how tall he is and it's not by any, anyone's fault at all. It's just his size kind of gets in his way a little bit, especially when he's fighting guys like Ben Wan, those little smaller guys. But uh, yeah, I mean, that, that, Spot off the top rope. It would have been really nice if they would have gave him the Eddie Guerrero angle because uh, they do that far away shot when Eddie does his stuff. Right. So uh, it would have been real cool to see Eddie get or Alex get that here. One thing I do want to mention is Bischoff is going in on commentary already. He made a comment of one thing you can't imitate is our success and the Titanic organization is raising their prices of their pay-per-views. And the imitate your success is from the a shot from the billionaire Ted because it's basically it was the commercial for the often imitated. Or, or things like that. So uh, Bischoff's in overdrive, and it gets you can. It's all throughout the night how much trash he's talking on the WWF. So these these vignettes are clearly getting to him a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of funny. It's day and night from next week's show. We'll talk all about that this week, and then you know basically how Bischoff takes a stance next week on Nitro in regards to the WWF. But yeah, this week he was hitting Vince, hitting the WWF uh, early, and hitting them hard throughout the show, saying whatever he could to just take jabs back after the the whole billionaire ted's war room sketch came out on on wwf raw on the uh, raw bowl episode yeah. uh, demeltz says uh in regards to this this brian pillman uh managing chris benoit here for this match Meltzer notes that brian pillman was at ringside and from the commentary by eric bischoff it sounds like he isn't long for wcw they kept talking about problems with the horsemen they cut off the camera mic when pillman was at ringside and after it was over and Pillman spat on Alex Wright, Bischoff said, don't be surprised if you don't see Brian Pillman in WCW a whole lot longer. And I think Meltzer's jumping the gun a little bit there, but I did feel that when Bischoff said that on commentary, it felt like a semi-shoot. 
Like this guy's taking liberties out here. I'm, I have no doubt that the whole spitting on Alex Wright thing, that was an audible called by Brian Pillman inside Brian Pillman's head. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Like you mentioned, he doesn't know what's a gimmick and he doesn't know when to turn it off. Right. Um, and so he's just, okay, what can I think of next to make myself look even crazier than I was 15 seconds ago? It, we I know for sure it gets crazy at the clash. Uh, and sure, it just gets it just gets worse as the time goes on, and or better this, depending on how you look at it. Oh well, yeah, from a entertainment standpoint, <laughs> it's definitely better. But as far as I'm sure guys in the ring with him and and the way things are going and stuff oh, like yeah. that, I really mm-hmm. feel like uh, unpredictable is an understatement. And um, yeah, they haven't created a word. Of, they haven't created a word yet to describe. Brian Pillman here in 1996. No, and I think uh, this is one of those stories you can file away for the Monday Night War, like the battles within, all those little stories. This is one of them. And I'm sure that everybody knows the story and everything, but man, <laughs> I'm sure we'll be talking about him quite a bit over the next few months for sure. And the show goes on, and we get Eddie Guerrero out to the ring. So back-to-back, I don't want to call it cruiserweight-style matches, but we haven't found a real term for this yet, but the younger guys getting some rub here this week, early on in the show anyway, as Eddie Guerrero takes on Steven Regal with Jeeves. And Guerrero hangs in, but Regal dominates basically the entire match. Regal lands a nasty-looking inverted suplex at one point. Eddie does counter, finally, a European uppercut attempt by Regal and turns it into a backslide for what the announcer sold as a huge upset win. And they, they in fact, I believe it was Eric Bischoff that states, that has to be Eddie Guerrero's biggest upset win to date, which I thought was a really weird dynamic given that Eddie is, was just holding his own with Ric Flair a couple weeks ago, and he pinned Brian Pillman a few weeks before that. So it was really weird that they used this match. It's almost like they're pushing Eddie out of order. Like, had this happened two months ago, this would have made more sense, at least by the way the announcers were, were selling it anyway. Regal did dominate the entire match. Until Eddie got that yeah. fluke win or whatever, a surprise win, upset win, whatever they were selling it as at the end. I thought it was kind of odd the way this was booked after watching Eddie hold his own with Ric Flair a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's just because maybe Regal, just with him being the TV champion uh, quite a bit leading up to this. I, I don't know why they're using him as the platform when, like you said, he's beat Pillman, who's in the horseman. He hung with Flair, so it doesn't. Maybe it's just those are okay. This is a it's not a fluke type deal. Maybe they're just doing that. Like okay, he hung with Flair, he beat Pillman, and now he just beat Lord Steven Regal. So now it's becoming a trend that he is good. But then if that's the case, then why did you have him in the World Cup tournament at Starcade? But again, like you said, they're just booking out of order, so to speak. But man, this match is really fun too. It, it started off a little slow, but man, Regal was laying in some shots. Oh yeah, and, uh, some of them were nasty. He did some palm strikes. Just very unorthodox offense that Lord Steven Regal was known for. It was always fun watching Regal from the time he came into WCW. I think I told this story way back on the show, but I think by 1993, other than Sting, Regal became my favorite wrestler to watch in WCW because he was just so different. The style was different. It was unique and it was fun. And I just, I'll never forget the when when it hit me out of nowhere. I didn't even realize how over Regal was with me. I remember swimming in my cousin's pool and we're kind of swimming around in circles talking about wrestling. And I go, man, you know who I like besides Sting? And he goes, Steve Regal? I go, how the hell did you think it? Like, I go, yeah. He's like, yeah, man, he's pretty cool. And I was always a big fan from that point forward. So I've always been a fan of Regal ever since he came to the States. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, he's He sticks out in a good way uh, with all the wrestling in the, on both shows, WCW and WWF at the time. Like, Regal had his own offense and everything, and he's definitely fun to watch. Yeah, um, but uh, we, it seems like a weekly trend. We're giving Bobby Heenan credit for his commentary, but he right. made some great points again on Eddie Guerrero, talking about how he's constantly studying tape of old-timers and new-timers and pretty much everything else just to pick up on little things that he can add to his own repertoire, and he's constantly studying to help himself get the upper hand in these matches. And um, I thought, again, it was just a great way to get Eddie Guerrero over. He's not just, it's not just luck. He's putting in the time and effort to get better. And um, Heenan did an excellent job of pushing that and getting that over. So, again, good job by Bobby Heenan there. Yeah, and I'll agree with you. I think the match did start off a little slow, and I was waiting for it to pick up, and it finally did. Regal was just really, really stiff in there. Not dangerous stiff, just fun stiff. And Eddie's, you know, Eddie, so... Really good match. The only thing I can say bad about this match was the crowd. And that's not the match's fault. The crowd did this match no favors. They were absolutely dead from the opening bell all the way to the three count. The first time I noticed a pop in the match was when Eddie Guerrero got the three. He hooked the backslide, one, two, three, on three, all of a sudden the crowd all popped in unison for about five seconds and right back silent again. So this is not a very good crowd this week, this, this South Carolina crowd, which is kind no. of surprising. Makes you wonder if it is waiting for the big names. Because you start off with Ben Juan, Alex Wright, now you got Eddie Guerrero and Lord Steven Regal. It's like, all right, where's Ric Flair and you know, Sting and Hogan I think, and all those I think guys. a lot of the issues with the Nitro shows, look how many guys uh, or how many fans are papered. Uh, these papered fans yeah. are coming to see Alex Wright. They probably don't know what a Chris Benoit is at this point. So, oh, there's Hulk Hogan. I know him. And Ric Flair, I know him. And, you know, and it's being South Carolina, I'm sure they know maybe Sting and Lex Luger and guys like that as well. Macho Man, of course. So, yeah, I agree with you. These yep. are other names. You would think that, but then when we get to those matches, I, I, still not a very big, not, not a very good crowd this week. When you're in there for free or getting paper tickets, yeah, you may like wrestling, but you didn't really care to go. Like, if you cared, you would have paid for it. So when half your crowd's just there because you got free tickets, how interested are they really going to be? Right. So. No, you never know what you're going to get with WCW. So half the time, WCW doesn't know what you're going to get. <laughs> exactly. And it's uh, promo time. Ha! Call the hotline. Mean Gene Okerlund with Sting and Lex Luger in the aisleway. Gene says Sting has a question for Lex Luger, which seems to catch Lex Luger off guard. He wants to answer questions in the back. He thought they were just out here to talk about upcoming matches. No, no, no. Sting says he has a question, and he wants it answered live in front of the fans. Does Lex Luger have a problem with that? Uh, Lex wants to know what the question is, because if it's about the triangle match from Starcade. They've already talked about that. And, Steve, i got to go back to Starcade really quick. The tri- triangle match, we had Flair, we had Sting, we had Luger. Sting and Luger take a bump to the floor. And Luger grabs Sting by the arm to keep him outside during the 10 count, leaving Flair in the ring all alone. So essentially, whoever the legal man was, Sting or Luger, were counted out. Meanwhile, I'm not even sure who the legal guy was anymore. Somehow Flair gets the win, and it makes no sense because both guys on the floor couldn't have been counted out at the same time. And the whole story, the whole booked finish of that match just made no sense. And then they tried to play it up here as if, did Lex Luger try to keep uh, purposely keep Sting from re-entering the ring and cost him the shot at Randy Savage's world title later on in the pay-per-view? And Luger here says, I was just reaching up for, for you're my friend. I was reaching up for help from my friend. And that's Luger's reasoning here. And Lex just says he wanted help from his friend. He wants to tag with Sting at the Clash. 
And uh, Sting said he never thought of being a full-time tag team before. That never dawned on him. Let's do it. And the whole thing might have made sense. This promo might have made sense if the tag team match that they're setting up here on Nitro hadn't have been announced two days prior on Saturday night. But it's WCW. Yeah, this didn't make any sense. So Luger, like Sting's questioning the shit out of Luger. And Luger's not giving any sort of answers. And then so Luger just says, you know what? I wanted to be your partner. I just wanted to tag with you at the Clash. And Sting goes along with it like nothing happened. Like whatever happened at the at Starcade is already gone so and forgotten. So it was just utterly ridiculous that he went from questioning him to, yeah, I'll be your partner. Like with Luger giving him bullshit answers. It's like, is Sting really this stupid? I get it. He didn't want to get traded on by a flair. He didn't want to do that angle. Because he didn't want to look like an idiot. Well, he did it anyway. And now he's stuck with Luger and he looks like another, a bigger idiot than he did when he signed up to join with Flair. It definitely uh, did not make a lot of sense here at all. But you got to admit, though, your boy Lex Luger here. My doing what you've been questioning. <laughs> what you've been questioning the last couple of weeks is why are you airing out your dirty laundry on in front of everybody? Why can't you just ask these questions in the back and get an answer? Yeah. Um, he wants to put Lex on Luger, the spot, man. Luger, Luger's with you. Why can't we talk about this in the back? <laughs> so Luger's catching on, but uh, no, nah, this was this this was a head scratcher. I, I didn't quite. I usually I normally like this angle, and I, I still do. But there's some things that are just doesn't make any sense at all. And this is yeah, one of them. And it's funny because they kind of set it up here where Luger's asking Sting to team with him at the Clash, but the match has actually already been announced two days prior on Saturday night. So they're telling stories out of order. So some things WCW just never learned from. Nope. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> We know all about that over on, on the memory grenade. This week on WCW Saturday Night, it's part two of the Mike Ditka interview in, in regards to Steve Mongo McMichael. So I'm sure Mike Ditka's on there talking all about Mongo things and the Bears. Also, and get this, Steve, on Saturday night, world champion Ric Flair defends against the Macho Man Randy Savage on Saturday night, a world title match between Flair and Savage. Yeah, I, don't, I don't get it, man. So if they're not already doing these guys to death on the Monday Nitro show, now they're even working the B show. <laughs> and the pay-per-view, so why pay well, yeah. for anything? Absolutely. Why, for anything? why are we, why are, why is everybody getting into fights when Savage is getting title shots on Saturday night and Nitro and why did Ric Flair even care about the triangle match at Starcade when he got a title shot the Monday before? None of this shit makes any sense. Yeah. It really feels like they don't know how to Book? do booking <laughs> where it's show to show. Like, right. okay, if you got Nitro on Monday, Saturday night on Saturday, pay-per-view on Sunday, it's, alright, we're going to book Nitro to get to the next Nitro. If anything happens in between that Nitro and that Nitro, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it goes in order or not. That's how it feels. Because a lot of these shows, you can watch them in order all you want, but they don't really make a whole lot of sense in order. Yeah. To watch and, WCW um, at this point, you really have to be watching for the wrestling product more so than the storylines to draw you in because some of them make sense and some of them don't. And even some of the ones that do make sense are told out of order at times on TV anyway. Yeah. Absolutely. Like you said, they never, they never learn. Show continues, and it's Sting in the ring with Diamond Dallas Page. DDP uh, claims as he's making his way down the aisle, he's coming for Johnny B. Bozo and that TV title. So bad, apparently, still here, but there must be some kind of contract issues already because 
We haven't seen him on Nitro since, I think, before Starcade. Match gets going with DDP attacking Sting, shoving a cigar into the face of Sting, and a weird bump from DDP as he kind of gets caught horizontally in the ropes, and Sting drop kicks him to the floor. Sting actually goes old school 80s with an over the top rope plancha onto DDP. That was fun to see, busting out that old plancha from the uh, late 80s Sting. Back inside. Oh, the camera angle there was sweet. Oh, yeah. He just happened like to be right there. So yeah, yeah, I was going to say right place at the right time. Yep. Oh, yeah, that was great. The action goes back inside, and we get the old accidental leapfrog low blow as Sting goes up over DDP, but DDP catches Sting with a low blow with his head. Uh, DDP finally takes over and goes on the offense for a bit before Stinger with the comeback. The big Stinger splash, he goes for the Scorpion, but DDP makes it to the ropes. Page escapes, the Scorpion rolls out to the apron and next snaps Sting over the top rope to take back over briefly before Sting slides out of an atomic drop sweeps the legs of DDP into the Scorpion Deathlock for the win in 6 minutes and 18 seconds. And DDP, still nowhere near a main event level player, but he did hold his own here, I thought. I'm surprised they put him in the Scorpion and made him tap out uh, or quit in that Matt fashion. Uh, we know back in 89, if, if somebody's on the way up or doing something, Sting kind of protected him with a pin, but at this point, that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. And so he put him in the Scorpion and got the win, but yeah. Uh, my 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 takeaway was that camera angle on, on the plunger. It was it was really cool. It looked like Sting was coming down on the camera guy and DDP. And uh, it's not very often you tell you give kudos to a WCW camera uh, camera guy because usually it's out of order or out of they miss a spot or something like that. Some bad things always happen with their production, but uh, this production was pretty solid. There, great spot. Well, you know what they say: even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. Like I said, <laughs> camera guy, right place, right time. Yep. We move on to the main event. It's the Mega Powers, or at least that's what they were called in the WWF. In the WCW, they're just Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man Randy Savage taking on Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. And Eric Bischoff proclaims, this is the reason why WCW is number one, as Hulk Hogan poses in the ring to kick things off. I do not believe that for a second, Eric Bischoff. I understand you want this to be the reason why WCW is number one, but I, I, don't, I don't find that to be factual. And for the umpteenth week in a row, there is no WCW merchandise on any fans in the entire crowd, except right in the front row, facing the hard camera, bam, more Hulkamania shirts, brother. I don't know if you, you've been paying attention to that every week. There's always two or three fans with Hulkamania shirts, always facing the hard camera and only in the front row. It's like, can nobody in the second or third row afford Hulk Hogan shirts, Hulk Hogan merch? And this week it was a little more because they even gave out a few uh, foam fingers, the old Hulk Hogan doing the pose, the foam fingers they had in, in yep. WCW. Yeah, so we had a few of those this week too. No Roddy Hogan this week. He, he took uh, the early New Year off here, I guess. He's not traveling so much here in the uh, winter season. But, yeah, it's Hulk Hogan with his uh, few fans in the front row once again. And, I'm not surprised. Like you said, he's in panic mode. He's doing whatever he can to make himself look relevant. Yeah, and it's uh, it's very blatant. It's very obvious, and it just makes me despise him even more. <laughs> and before the match gets going, I look at the names on paper. On one side, you have the mega powers. There's no argument. The top two players in the game in the late '80s, early '90s, whatever you want, whatever you want to call it taking on Ric Flair and Arn Anderson, the two key players in the Four Horsemen who dominated Crockett and the NWA. And 
they're they're facing off here. This is huge. It's not just WCW versus WWF or however you want to look at it. It's just four huge names here in a tag team match. This should feel awesome, but it doesn't. It it feels the opposite of awesome. It just <laughs> I just I, I don't want to see it on my TV screen. What is going wrong here? Yeah, man, I don't. This this feels like a match that you book towards a major pay per view to get a, a big big time main event and a pay per view by. Uh, this how this match should have been done. But this is the era of we got to pop a rating, and it doesn't matter what we give away for free. Who cares about pay per view? Who cares about any of that? We just need that rating, and um, this is what happens. It does. I think there's just no appeal to it because there's nothing behind it. Yeah, we know Flair and these guys have been feuding off and on like over the last six months since Nitro started, but we've seen these guys in the ring together week after week after week. This is probably the 15th time we've seen them, and at this point, nobody cares. We need something new, something fresh. It's very, very disappointing that that's the case, but you have these four guys. Because if done properly, this could have been one hell of a main event for a pay-per-view, but as you know, hot shot booking has ruined almost everything. Yeah, and I feel like I could take a small excerpt of what you just said and cut and paste it into every week's show. That being, this should be a main event on a pay-per-view, but instead they're throwing it away on TV because that seems to be exactly what W... To give Vince credit, he is not, other than throwing out these pay-per-view matches from In Your House recently, he's not going out there and giving away every single main event he can possibly come up with on free TV. And that's exactly what Eric Bischoff's doing. But Yeah, like you said, why pay for anything? Yeah, I don't even know what they have left that, that they haven't done already at this point. And as this match gets going, Hogan seems to get worse and worse every week. He, we've seen him take out 12 guys. We've seen him beat the living hell out of the Giant. He's already no-selling the Giant uh, to a degree. We've seen him get all the horsemen down on their knees all at once and plead, pray, please, Hulk Hogan, don't beat us up, the four horsemen. And this week, I didn't think he could take it any further than that, but he does. And I'll tell you what I mean by that is Flair wants Hogan in first uh, as Savage is trying to start the match off. So Hogan tags in and Flair's going to wish he hadn't done that because Hogan no-sells every single thing that Ric Flair does. So Arn Anderson comes in to help Ric Flair, but that doesn't work either. Only thing that happens then is Hogan beats the shit out of both Ric Flair and Arn Anderson at the same time and clears the ring. And the match goes on. We see Hogan and Savage do stereo figure four leg locks to Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. Flair comes back. He winds up tossing Randy Savage over the top rope. Big bump as we go into a commercial break. Coming out, the horsemen dominate Randy Savage. Arn tries a DDT, but the Macho Man holds onto the top rope, and Arn takes the bump. And we get, what do we get? The hot tag to Hulk Hogan. And it's more no-selling, brother, as he beats up not just Ric Flair, but Ric Flair and Arn Anderson again at the same time. Arn lands a spine buster, and rather than allowing him to cover... Hogan immediately pops up, no-selling the spine buster, and he hulks up, big boot, leg drop, pins Arn Anderson, shit. 14 and a half minutes of shit. Hulk Hogan didn't sell one move for the entire match against Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. Yeah, this has been the norm since he's been here, and this is why, and this is, that's another reason why this match meant nothing. Because you know going into these matches what's going to happen. It's going to be... You figure Savage is going to do all the work, which he did. Uh, Flair and Arn's going to look good with him. Then Hogan's going to come in, dominate, and then you're going to get shenanigans at the end of it. And that's exactly what we got. So when you know what's coming, you know how it's going to end. 
it's just a matter of, okay, this is the start. How are we going to get there? And it's going to be over. So you don't really care. You, when you know what's coming, you're not invested. This was – I didn't think it was a terrible match. I enjoyed the work with Savage and Flair and Arn. I, I thought they did well. Uh, that hot tag was lukewarm at best. That's being, that's being nice if you want to call it a hot tag because the crowd didn't give a shit. They didn't um, make a noise. They made they made as much noise no. when Hogan got the tag as they did during the Regal and Eddie Guerrero match. None. Uh, I, I think the only time the crowd popped was when Flair showed his ass <laughs> when Hogan pulled down his trunks. Right. But uh, that was really the only pop they gave. Yeah, it's unfortunate that Hogan's too stupid to realize what he's doing is doing more harm than good. And um, it's, it's crazy. Thankfully, in a month or two, he ain't going to be around for a few months. So we get a break. Thank, thank God for that. Well, he had to, he had, he has to reboot because he ends up destroying the entire W heel roster on WCW all in one night. So he had, he has to take a reboot, brother. Yeah, you said what can they come up with next to sell? Yeah, man, don't forget the Alliance in Hawkmania. <laughs> oh, and we, we're kind of kind of start building towards that here, uh, actually, uh, before this yes. episode of, of uh, Money Warfare ends. But before this episode of yes. Nitro ends. Hogan gets the pin on Arn Anderson, and no sooner that he gets the three count, do Brian Pillman and Chris Benoit return to ringside. And they try to do a run-in, but they're stopped immediately by the Zodiac and Kevin Sullivan. There's a little horseman and Dungeon of Doom tussle on the outside, but the Giant hits the ring and attacks Hogan and Savage. Choke slam to both men. And the Giant wants to do more damage to Hogan, but the, Jody- but the Zodiac jumps in and puts a stop to it. He pleads with the Giant, no, no more, no, no. So no more yeses from the Zodiac man. And DeMeltz says Hulk Hogan wants Brutus Beefcake, the Zodiac, back as a babyface with a push with the argument that Eric Bischoff got his friend DDP into a good spot. So why can't he get his friend into a good spot, brother? Forgetting that Paige may have been given a chance against a lot of people's wishes. But he delivered whereas Zodiac has been given a zillion shots and has failed to deliver. In the past, obviously, a.k.a. the Butcher, for one. And so, basically, Hogan's saying, hey, man, you want to push your friends, brother? You need to push my friends, dude. So, let's come up with the Booty Man gimmick, I guess, is, is basically what Hogan said to Eric at this point. So, we'll see who wins that war of words very soon, I'm sure. It is what it is. Like, uh, <laughs> you knew it was coming. They've been planting this seed for a few weeks now, where the yeah. Zodiac stopping the giant from really killing Hogan. I mean, if that's the case, then whatever. I'm not surprised by anything that Hogan does at this point, and he's going to do what he wants to do just because he's been given that leeway. There's nobody in that company anywhere that's going to check him and say, you know what, you're not doing this anymore. And um, whereas Vince had the balls enough to say, look, you're not doing this here. You can take it somewhere else. That's kind of how it ended, you know, in 93. So I think, that's that's a big issue. You gotta hold this guy in check, or his ego is gonna get way out of control. And we're well past that. And there's no coming back from it at this point. No, there's no coming back. Putting Hulk Hogan in check in WCW, yeah, sure. It's <laughs> uh, not gonna happen. That's absolutely that's the problem. Yeah, uh, this was another Nitro with another ten minute run over. So it just continues to be a weekly thing at this point. And as we close the show, I got to ask you, Steve, what's your segment of the night? Was it Benoit versus Alex Wright, Regal versus Eddie Guerrero, Sting versus DDP? Sting just now really realizing that he's in the middle of a tag team with Lex Luger, or was it the uh, brother, brother, brother? 
so my notes here, I, main event, I didn't think it was a bad match. Like I said, the, the stuff with Savage, Arn, and Flair was pretty fun. Hogan even trying to bust out his, you know, chain wrestling at the beginning where he does the around the world or whatever. You knew the finish was coming, but I didn't necessarily mind it. And uh, the end with, you know, pushing the dungeon and the horseman, it was all right. But my favorite statement was actually Benoit and Alex Wright. I thought Benoit coming in and uh, really going right at Alex Wright, just starting the action real quick. And then Alex Wright got his comeback. There's a lot of great spots. I mean, Benoit was Benoit, you know, some stuff, stiff suplexes Alex Wright gave it right back though and um overall I thought it was just a really entertaining match I thought it was a really good way to open the show and I thought that was my favorite statement of the night yeah I like the DDP is getting thrown in there with guys like Sting to help him learn learn to elevate to a higher level I thought Regal and Eddie was a good match like like you stated as well I don't know why the mega powers versus the horsemen isn't the best thing on the show there's no excuse there's only one man that made that improbable from happening, and you know who you are, dude. So I have to go with Alex Wright versus Benoit, too, only because it was the most believable, competitive, solid match on the show. And there were a lot of solid just TV matches here. It wasn't a bad show overall by, by any means. Mm-hmm. And like you said, Savage and Flair, they held their own in there. Arn Anderson always holds his own. It was Hogan uh, running rampant over both guys at the beginning of the match and the end of the match and then the finish that just it really took that match out of the out of the running for me. So I got to go Ben Juan right, right as uh, well. And uh, we're going to move over to the USA Network and Monday Night Raw for January the 8th. And this is taped way back on December 18th in Newark, Delaware. So this is week four in a five-week taping. Insane that Vince did this. Five weeks of Raw this time around. That was unusual. They typically tried to do three, and they did four here in the latter half of 95 and apparently going into 96, but five weeks. Oh my God, this crowd had to be dead. Is it the holidays? Is that why? I think it's just the way everything works out. You know what? I take that back. It is a four week taping. This is week three because they didn't air one of the shows on Christmas. So still, this is week three of a four week taping. So, but this stuff's taped so long ago. It's outdated really. I mean, to me. Yeah. Yeah. To kick off Raw, before we actually get into Raw, I wanted to point out there's a bit of WWF news. Uh, Demeltz reports Psycho Sid is out with a disc injury in his neck. So there was apparently a scheduled tag team title match for the Royal Rumble between the Smoking Guns and Sid and the Kid. And that had to be changed here to the Body Donnas uh, wind up getting the title shot at the Rumble against the Guns. So interesting note that the Guns may have dropped the belts to Kid and the Sid, or Kid and Sid here. At the Rumble, had the match actually taken place? I know I mentioned it before, but I, I was actually looking at that magazine uh, from '96, and it was actually uh, Vic Venom, Vince Russo doing his predictions for the World Rumble, like a card. And they had that match on the Smoking Guns versus Sid and the Kid, and then it had Aja Kong versus Alunda Blaze. So uh, obviously, they're under the headline that that's his predictions, but we all know those things are pretty much where they want to go and what they want to do with their shows. So uh, yeah. I seen that in, I was like, that's, that's weird. Yeah, I'm surprised that didn't happen, but for no, no, no knock on the body Donnas, but what a drop off there from, you know, go from the Sid and the kid to the body Donnas, body Donnas and them probably better match overall, but just the name power of Sid and the kid together on the pay-per-view uh, would have been pretty neat to see. As raw kicks off this week. I don't know if I missed it, but they're using the old Raw theme. They've moved away from that goofy shit on top of the the Titan Tower here, at least for me anyway. 
on the episode on the version I watched. So I'm not sure if you noticed that, if that's like that on all versions or or what the deal was, but they went back to the old raw theme with maybe a new uh, video attached to it. Yeah, that that uh building a rooftop stuff didn't last very long as far as being the main video. I know they used it forever, some of the footage, but yeah. So it was kind of cool. I just, uh, I don't know when they started that again. I know last week was the Raw Bowl, so I'm not sure if this is the first week we go back to the old Raw theme, but it was nice to see as a breath of fresh air for certain. As the show kicks off with old Double J (laughs) in the ring against Hakushi, the modern-day kamikaze, if you can even call him that here, by January of 96. And there's a kid in the front row that no doubt somebody's handed him this shirt to put on and model for the TV. And I have to wonder, He's wearing a Jeff Jarrett t-shirt. It says, ain't I great on the front and not on the back. (laughs) Why would you wear a shirt that says, ain't I great, not? Who thought of that shit? Like, who wants to wear a shirt that says, I suck? Because that's basically what it says. It just, uh, I don't even understand the the premise of the, I understand it's supposed to be Jeff Jarrett, but nobody else knows that walking down the fucking street. So why why, why am I wearing it? It's absolutely (laughs) stupid. That's my argument that if you know Jeff Jarrett in wrestling, that's his gimmick. So the not makes sense. But yeah, Jeff Jarrett's not that big of a name. It's not like the Cena sucks shirt. You know, everybody knows who Cena is. Uh, so it, it worked. But no, nah, Jeff Jarrett, that's stupid. That's clearly a plan or, you know, somebody got a free shirt out of it. And we learned that Jeff Jarrett has a new album out, Greater Than Great. I've never heard it. As the match gets going, Jeff Jarrett dumps Hakushi to the floor. Hakushi lands on his feet, though. As Jeff Jarrett's doing a little strutting in the ring, Hakushi's back up to the top rope and delivers a shoulder block back into the ring. Uh, This match was basically all Jeff Jarrett dominating Hakushi with some brief comebacks here and there, but Jarrett fully in control. Hakushi lands the handspring elbow, flying double chop, gets a two count. That's about all the real offense we see in the match from Hakushi. He tries a springboard splash, but lands onto the knees of Jarrett, and it's right into the figure four as Hakushi does the job in five minutes and 40 seconds. A glorified squash for Hak- for Jeff Jarrett over Hakushi and just feels so terrible. Hakushi needs to get out of this place and soon. Yeah, I, I loved his offense, man. He's so damn entertaining and it's just unfortunate. And you, you also, I don't know if you picked up on it, but Lawler and the stupid t- stereotype jokes in this one, he said uh, Hakushi's going to go back to Tokyo and open up a big and tall shop. So that sounds like Lawler. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if in 96, I didn't really pick up on it or care. I wasn't really listening that much, but when I'm listening now in 2020, you are a little bit desensitized to this stuff. And it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I get it to joke, but man, how stupid and how kind of demoralizing to somebody like Hakushi. Like he can't even get a proper commentary gig, you know, like they're not even trying to put him over. And I get it. You can't put everybody over, but man, you don't have to knock a whole race just to, Get your stupid joke in. But yeah, I mean, I grew up in a different time. world, so it, I'm not, I'm not overtly offended by these jokes. It's just, even in 1996, it's very outdated. Jerry Lawler was using material from years gone by. Yeah, and, and I, that's, this, I've always felt that with Lawler. Like, and I don't want to go on a tangent here, but Heenan, his jokes were in the moment and were, you know, they felt like they were off the cuff, and he just came up with it, and it was just out there. Waller always, to me, came across that he wrote, read a joke book. And he's like, hey, I get this one in tonight. That's how it always came across. So it never felt genuine or real. I don't. He's not that funny. So 
I, I didn't like him then. I don't like him now. It, was, it has nothing to do with the material. It's just so outdated and stupid sounding. We can move on for sure. Yeah, I mean, the match with uh, Jarrett Hakushi, just a very big contrast of styles. Jarrett was never a guy that could work anybody's style. He wasn't a Bret Hart that you know could adapt. Jarrett just had one type of match, and if you could work that style of match, then it was an okay match. But here with Hakushi, Jarrett wasn't going to hang with Hakushi, and it felt like Hakushi was just going through the motions. And I can't blame him at this point here in January '96. He wasn't, he didn't have that spring in his step that he that he did prior, you know, to this demotion, if you ask me, to baby-faced, Americanized Hakushi. And he's basically just a jobber to the stars. And I hate to say that because I don't view him as such, but that's the way he's being used here, as he does a submission. Lost to Jeff Jarrett and uh, Hakushi, pretty close to leaving the company at this point. And I don't blame him. Yeah, I don't blame him at all either. But he'll be better off elsewhere for sure. It just stinks like this is it. This is all you get of him in the United States outside of that match at ECW. He's definitely better than than that. He deserves to be seen more. I'm surprised WCW never picked him up. Jim Ross and a Royal Rumble report coming from Doc Hendricks's Doc Hendricks's Slam Jam apartment. He mentioned Scheme Gene. We get a little quick clip of Scheme Gene there. He, he can't tell us right now who's going to enter the Royal Rumble, but maybe he will later on in the show. As Jim Ross runs over some of the names for the Royal Rumble, one of them is actually Skip of the Body Donnas. So uh, if you need a little more proof that the Body Donnas weren't initially scheduled to be part of the tag title match, there you have it right there. Skip announced for the Rumble match. Obviously, that doesn't happen. Back to ringside, it's Ahmed Johnson taking on Jeff Brettler. And I had to question here, what the hell is Brettler wearing? It looked like curtains wrapped around his waist, uh, sewn into pants. <laughs> looked ridiculous. Yeah, I've never seen that as an in-wrestling attire. I, I don't know who sewed that up for him, who made that for him. Maybe his mother, if, if, if it was another wrestling company or somebody who used to make wrestling trunks. I don't think they should ever take credit for this guy's attire here. Just absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> Not just how bad the MC Hammer style pants that they were, but the the fabric, the, the material. Yeah, yeah, the material looked like it was made out of curtain. I I, I don't even know how to describe it. Just absolutely. The design ridiculous. was brutal. Yeah, the design yeah. also reminded me of fucking curtains. So I don't know if this guy really did. Hey, I can't afford any tights, so I had my mom make these for me out of our living room curtains. <laughs> or maybe he stole them from the hotel and sewed them together real quick because he got called up. Well, Ahmed, Ahmed must not have liked these curtain pants either because he absolutely murders poor Brettler here. Does a um, fucked up looking head and arm. I don't know what the hell it was. Suplex. They even show it in instant replay, and I became even more confused as to what the hell it was. I, I just said it was a nasty toss move. I didn't even know what the hell it was either, but man, he killed the guy with it. Yeah, and he wasn't done killing the guy by that point. A spinning clothesline, an axe kick, an axe boot, if you want to call it that. Of course, that deadly spine buster that Ahmed loves to murder everyone with, and the Pearl River Plunge, all in a matter of one minute and 25 seconds. Short match, but not short enough for Mr. Brettler. No, and he finally hit a decent spine buster. It looked good this week, so... Um, well, yeah, he'd already it, killed the guy with the uh, fucking suplex yeah. toss, so he, he went out easy on him on the, on the spine buster this week. Thank God for that. Yeah, Jeff Jarrett had to been watching this match, knowing he's wrestling Ahmed at the Rumble, going, oh, no, you ain't doing that to me. <laughs> Speaking of Jarrett, he came out after the match, right? And uh, tries to know Ahmed, but he moves out of the way and 
Ahmed destroys the guitar. So uh, we're set up that match with for the Rumble. They did a decent build to that. I felt like. Yeah, it was fine. I mean, for it to be so abrupt and started all back at just at the December in your house. So they're doing what they can to get you know some some segments in to build up to everything at the Rumble anyway. Yeah, and every the, match means something a little bit. And the show goes on. It's the Brother Love Show with guest again Ted DiBiase. Last time we saw DiBiase on Brother Love, he was talking all about Santa Claus. Well, Santa Claus from the South Pole, he's gone, Steve. You'll never see him again. Thank God for that. However, Ted DiBiase has yet another new wrestler in his stable. It's a man by the name of the Ringmaster. You guys might know him better as Steve Austin. And boy, we talked about this, I think, when we did the Royal Rumble watch-along, how great of a promo Austin was in WCW, how good of a promo he was in ECW. That doesn't reflect here on the Brother Love Show, Steve, as Steve Austin climbs into the ring in these green trunks, and he puts his hand up to the screen, tells everybody to touch the screen, feel what it's like to be destined for success. Man. Austin is in the rumble. Man. He will win. Man. And go on to mania. Man. Him and the million-dollar man. Man, and Austin, I swear at the every at the end of every sentence, he ended with man. It just sounded like if if Matt Riddle had said man instead of bro. I don't I, I don't know what <laughs> Austin was going for here. Definitely not Stone Cold esque. Not even on par with stunning Steve Austin. No, this was uh, little did we know what this signing was going to turn out to be. Um, but <laughs> he's a little bit of ways away from that here. This was. The whole idea of, like, stick your hand out and touch the screen, uh, it probably sounded like a good idea in his head. Right. Yeah, I'm going to do it, or, or whatever the case may be. Then you, then you deliver it, and it just it sounds so stupid and ridiculous, man. Man. <laughs> the man part, man. Man. I don't <laughs> he know just... if it's because he's with the million-dollar man or what, but that Texas draw that he has, and he, he draws out that word, man, like you said, <laughs> and it's it's horrible. I, don't, I did not remember it being this bad. Uh, I've seen it quite a few times, but it's been a long time since I've seen it, and I did not when, remember it being this bad. I remember the hand gimmick, but I did not remember him saying hand every other word, and uh, this was terrible. Yeah, and um, I remember watching this when it aired live, the original airing, and I didn't pay attention to a damn thing he said because all I care, holy shit, Steve Austin. I was a huge Steve Austin fan from WCW from the day he got there because I'd watched him feud with Chris Adams on ESPN and USWA. So I knew who Steve Austin was going back to at least 1990. And I was a fan of him in, in USWA. I love that feud with Chris Adams. And when he popped up in WCW, I go, oh, he just looked like a guy who was destined for success, man. And pops up on WCW and he just fit right away. Always loved him there yeah. uh, through every incarnation of whatever he was doing. And I hated when Duggan came in and beat him in 30 seconds, absolutely. I revolted on that immediately when that happened. And then in the rematch where he didn't get the belt back, and then he kind of disappeared eventually and goes to the ECW, and I only read about that in the aftermags. I didn't get to see that when that aired, but they wrote about it in the aftermags. And by the time I read it, here he was in the WWF, man. And I was just so busy marking out that Steve Austin's here in the WWF that uh, I probably didn't really – pay attention to how bad this promo was until I listened to it years later. Yeah, it's one of those things you kind of just ignore it just because it's Steve Austin. 
he's in the WWF. But I'm with you. I didn't I didn't see a lot of him in WCW, but the little that I did, and my again, my friend loved the Hollywood Blonde, so he he told me all about him, and I was excited to see what he can do in the ring because you hear things. I mean, it wasn't like I, I watched it, but I heard a lot about him when he showed up. My friend, like I said, he hyped the hell out of this guy too. Him and Vader seemed like uh, his two favorites or something, but. I actually, I, I know a lot of people don't hate, don't like it. I didn't mind the remaster gimmick. I thought it was cool. I, maybe not for Steve Austin, but his feud that's coming up here with Savio Vega is just all, so entertaining, man. I love it, and I, I can't wait to watch it again. Those matches are fun as hell to watch. Show continues on. It's Goldust taking on the Portuguese Man of War, Aldo Montoya. This may be Montoya's first match that I can recall anyway on Raw since we started doing Monday Warfare. But it doesn't really matter because Goldust dominates the entire match. Aldo with a very quick comeback before Goldust ends things with that inverted gourd buster, yet to be named the curtain call. Goldust gets the win in only 2 minutes, 15 seconds. Aldo Montoya, not even a jobber to the stars this week. Didn't even really get much of any offense as they continue to push Goldust for that intercontinental title run. Yeah, definitely. uh Aldo probably didn't deserve any offense at this point, but uh I don't know if you picked up on the Vince said that uh, one of Goldust's favorite movies is Heat, because that kind of came out in 95 with uh, Pacino and De Niro. And uh, he kinda, he, after that, he mentioned he knows how to get it. So uh, a little shoot there, talking about how, you know, using that insider term. But right. yeah, decent match. And um, Goldust is looking better and better, for sure. And we're back in the Slam Jam room, and Jim Ross still there. And be careful, JR, when you leave there, make sure you get fumigated, because Doc Hendricks lives in the slam jam room and God knows what's crawling all over that place. As we Jim Ross throws it to the heartbreak kid, Sean Michaels, Royal rumble press conference interview. Sean says that his doctors and friends have advised Sean to basically retire from the business to protect his health. Sean apologizes to his friends and those doctors because HBK is back. Jack, he will be in the Royal rumble match and he will go on to headline WrestleMania and become the next WWF champion. So they've been building to this press conference here, and uh, they didn't play around very long. They went straight to the point. Shawn Michaels coming back for the Royal Rumble. Was there ever any doubt? When it first happened, maybe, but not now. Definitely not. I thought it was cool to show those press conferences. You didn't really see those very much uh, going into it. And, oh, um, and that, that, so was actually, pretty... that was actually a legit press conference, too. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, I'm surprised that's not up on the network. They released a lot of those press conferences for WrestleMania and stuff, so I'm surprised they didn't put that one up. But, um, yeah, it was pretty cool. It was definitely unique and different. It was a good way to kind of announce that he's coming back even in the legit setting there, so pretty cool. We throw back to Scheme Gene. As Gene keeps saying, he has big news about a person who has signed with the WWF, and he will be part of the Royal Rumble, but you have to ha, call the hotline because he can't say the name on TV. Jim Ross pleads with Scheme Gene to give the scoop away just once for us for free on TV. And by golly, Scheme Gene says, all right, it's Vader time. And of course, we've known about Vader for a few weeks now. So Vince McMahon in the background says, that's typical, implying that Okerlund over on WCW te- uh, teases uh, breaking stories on his 900 line. And uh, what he delivers is actually old news a lot of the time. So just uh, another rib. So whoever's booking these early billionaire Ted sketches and these scheme gene sketches early on, some really good creativity, good writing. I think even Meltzer says he finds them funny at this point. Yeah, this was funny. I laughed. 
it's always cool to get a laugh out of this stuff, and uh, this this definitely delivered. Uh, it was pretty funny. I'm kind of glad I'm going back and watching these because they were lost in time, you know, in my memory. I know they existed, but you know, like I said, as they as they go on, they kind of get monotonous. And as you said, that when they move away from the war room, it's they're not as funny anyway. And that's how I kind of remember it. I remember it all being kind of grown worthy. So I love being able to go back and watch these for the first time in forever because I have a new appreciation or a new, uh, once again, appreciation for some of the earlier sketches because they are quite humorous. Good job by whoever's writing these things. Absolutely. To sell the fact that Shawn Michaels is returning from this life-threatening injury, we even hear comments from a few of the wrestlers and their thoughts on Shawn returning in the Royal Rumble match. Big Daddy Cool Diesel says he wants to win the match himself, but Shawn is his friend and wishes Shawn good luck. Razor Ramon says he thinks it's not wise for Shawn Michaels to return, but if he is in the Rumble, then he will win the Royal Rumble. And, of course, Owen Hart says he hurt Shawn bad, and Shawn's not ready to come back. Owen Hart refers to Shawn Michaels as a marked man in the Royal Rumble. And as we go back to the program, Vince McMahon throws it to the main event of the December 95 In Your House 5 pay-per-view. It's WWF champion Bret Hart taking on his brother-in-law, the British Bulldog, and we get the entire match, the match shown in its entirety, the main event, the world title match, where Bret bleeds buckets all over the ring. We get this right here on Raw this week. So they've given away at least two, if not three, of the key matches from that in your house pay-per-view. And this is the final of those. And what a match for TV. You're if you didn't get the in your house match or in your house pay-per-view and you're gifted this on free TV, you're, you're a happy guy that me, I'm sitting here bitching because it's like you're eating up half of the show with the match I just saw. And I just taped a few weeks ago, but if you didn't order the pay-per-view, this is pretty damn cool. Yeah. It makes you want to buy the next one. Cause if like, this is what we're missing out on pay-per-view. Then I got to see it. So, uh, job well done. You can't pick a better match than this one. No, and Vince wisely, as they come to a conclusion from the match, of course, Bret Hart does get the win with the Lamahi Straw Cradle to retain the title. And Vince makes sure to mention that all Royal Rumble matches are exclusively only on pay-per-view. They will not be shown on uh, regular TV. So make sure you order the Royal Rumble, which uh, I believe actually went up $5. Went uh, $24.99 to $29.99. So... I hadn't realized they went up to $30 this early, uh, but apparently they do. I didn't realize it either. I didn't pay for them, so my mom did. <laughs> um, thanks, mom. Say, though, yeah, thanks, mom and dad. Appreciate you. Um, now, if you want to get our thoughts on the match, definitely go check out our Patreon. Uh, what is it, patreon.com? No, that was, a, that was a fun show. I mean, two, two hours in and out, absolutely, over at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Subscribe for $5. We cover Starcade, we cover in your house we go all the way back halloween havoc survivor series world war three all of the watch alongs are right there for only five dollars and we'll continue to do so and we're going to talk a little bit about that royal rumble before we finish this show but yeah clash of the champions even coming up for wcw so a lot of good stuff going to be going up and already up over at patreon.com slash wrestlecopia but back to this show and as we conclude the heart and bulldog match it's promo time with Paul Bear and The Undertaker very quick and to the point, thank God, because they talk so damn slow. And uh, Paul Bear says, when will er, the, the creatures of the night have been asking, when will The Undertaker get a title shot? Well, it's finally time. And The Undertaker says, Bret Hart's been a great champion, but the creatures of the night have spoken, and The Undertaker will deliver them the heavyweight title at the Royal Rumble. 
And we close the show with yet another Billionaire Ted, wrestling War Room. And they're sitting around the table, of course, the Huckster and Scheme Gene and Nacho Man and whoever the hell Vince Russo's pretending to be and all that good shit. And the, Ted says, Billionaire Ted, yeah, yeah, we, we need to come up with a, a new slogan and for Ted's wrestling show, of course, because they won't say WCW by name. So it's just for Ted's wrestling show. Uh, one of the board members says, how about uncooked, uncensored? And Ted said, oh, we, we, we've already stolen that idea. And another board member says, how about Ted's wrestling? Unbelievable. Uh, of course, take off on last year's WWE slogan. And then a, another board member says, yeah, Ted's wrestling. It's not believable. So another fun little uh, comedy spot there wrote into the, the lines. And uh, Ted responds, uh, th- this was no time to, to start telling the truth. Of course, Ted's wrestling, not believable. And then another board member says, uh, how about this is where the good old boys play. And another one comes back with, this is where the old boys play. And of course, Ted once again says, this is no time to start telling the truth. Finally, finally, leave it to the Nacho Man. The Nacho Man comes up with a great idea. How about this is where the big boys play. And everyone agrees. WCW, or I'm sorry, Ted's wrestling show. This is where the big boys play. But then Nacho Man says, but what if we have to take legitimate drug tests for steroids? And that's how he says it too, steroids. And the Huckster responds, you don't have to worry about that, brother. We're not in the World Wrestling Federation anymore. So slammer there by the Huckster and the Macho Man. The closing line of this war room was the new or the WWF new generation. There's nothing old or artificial here. And I guess... I guess Meltzer says the uh, WCW is thinking about suing here, a libel lawsuit, but this is satire. So this is how Vince McMahon gets away with the whole wrestling war room uh, for as long as he does. Yeah, this was uh, this is one of those haymakers. And, uh, yeah, it was a good one. <laughs> I, uh, this was a good one, top to bottom, the whole minute or whatever it was. Um, yeah, that was my note. He throwing some haymakers. You bring up steroids, which is kind of funny because yeah, Savage is definitely on the juice. Luger, Max to the gill as soon as he got into WCW. Uh, but Hogan, this is the smallest we've ever seen him, to be honest. And um, you got guys like Bulldog and things like that over in the WWF land that look uh, – I mean, he looks ridiculous. We all know that. But uh, for the most part, they're kind of onto something there. But, yeah, I thought, thought that, was, that was a great <laughs> vignette there. I loved it. Segment of the night, Stephen. I'm personally eliminating Bulldog and Hart because it's not really fair. They're using a main event from a pay-per-view, a world title match where Brett bled buckets. I'm eliminating it from mine. You don't have to do that with yours. Uh, but it, it can't be Jarrett and Hakushi because that was not a very good match. Ahmed killing MC Hammer Pants guy. Uh, it is what it is. The Ringmaster, man, or steroids, brother. <laughs> I actually went with uh, Jared Hakushi because it was really the only name okay. value thing, even though Hakushi was jobbing. I, I, he did get his decent offense in a little bit. Like you said, Jared can only work one way, and Hakushi wasn't going to be it. So he was kind of going through the motions. That's not to say this was a bad show at all because it definitely wasn't. Uh, it's just I'm not going to pick the pay-per-view match. That's, pretty, that's a cheap way to make, make your pick. And then uh, – the debut of the remaster was good, but him saying man over and over kind of ruined it for me. The vignette <laughs> outside of the, the vignette probably is the best piece on the whole show. Uh, just because 
you, you just did not expect that from Vince. And I didn't, you know, when they first started, like, yeah, this is funny. It's not going to get too, too bad. But then this one came along and you're like, holy shit, he's holding no punches. And, um, I like this better than, you know, this, the subtle jabs on commentary that Bischoff seems to do. Those feel like you're, you're mad and you're, you're crying like a baby, uh, do something creative, challenge them and come up with something. Right. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. We're going to talk about that later, but... Um, right. No, I'm in a 100% agreement so. in, in regards to, you know, some of the other stuff that they're putting here and how Eric Bischoff's handling things versus how Vince and company are handling things here. Uh, I cannot pick the Jarrett Hakushi match. I just was not a fan of it whatsoever. I felt like it was just a glorified squash for Jeff Jarrett. Hakushi got his spots in. It really didn't work for me, personally. Uh, the segment at the end, I thought it was funny, but I, I can't really call it the segment of the night. I think I just have to go with the Steve Austin segment because Steve Austin was on my TV screen. Not because the promo was good, but I remember being just excited as hell that Steve Austin was in the WWF. And I was already thinking in my head, oh, Steve Austin and Shawn Michaels, this is going to be amazing. Yet did I know you know, how Steve, what shape Steve Austin would be in by the time he got to that match. Or how, what what mental shape Shawn Michaels was going to be in by the time they got to that match, or if you listen to Shawn, physical shape too. But uh, and everybody's going, well, yeah, it's because he became Stone Cold. No, it's not because he became Stone Cold. In fact, I'm probably a bigger fan of stunning Steve Austin than Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I'm not saying that because I'm not, I'm not blind. I understand why Stone Cold took off to the masses, and Steve Austin was where Steve Austin was. But as an overall worker, a wrestler in the ring, I loved Steve Austin before the injuries. And I understand he had to do what he had to do to preserve himself after the injuries as well. I'm not faulting him for any of that. But like I said, when I I remember I can channel back to then, I wasn't paying attention to a damn thing Steve Austin was saying. I just go, that's not the ringmaster. That's Steve Austin. And this is pretty damn awesome that he's on my screen right now. So I just have to go. It's a it's a big deal to me to see Steve Austin in the WWF. So I'm going to go with that. I mean, if I had to go with something that was, that was actually quality, I guess I would go with Jarrett Hakushi over that because they at least have a wrestling match. Right. But it was just a big deal to me. And it was on the Brother Love show. It was like the best of both worlds because I think Brother Love's already done <laughs> after this. But it's like, holy yeah. shit, Steve Austin and Brother Love in the same segment. You can't beat that. Whenever I talk about Stone Cold with my friends, it's always – People forget how great of a worker he was before all the injuries and prior to his run in WWF. So uh, I always go back to that as well. I always enjoyed the stunning Steve work. His matches are just so damn good. And uh, he's right there in the realm of the Mr. Perfects and the Bret Hart's of the world for putting on a solid match because he could do it with anybody. And um, I guess it's fortunate in the way that he didn't necessarily have to work that hard to get over anymore uh, because when you're that over, you don't you, you go to the well that, that's paying you, so it makes sense. But it's just unfortunate that a lot of people don't even realize how great of a worker he is or right. was. Right. And the ratings are in. Demelts reports that both WCW Nitro and WWF Raw drew their best numbers since the Monday Night War began. Raw scored a 3.0 rating and a 4.1 share to Nitro's 2.8 rating and 3.9 share. The number were partially boosted by the fact that more people were watching TV on January the 8th than any other Monday in the history of TV due to the blizzard 
the big blizzard, apparently, of the beginning of 1996. I kind of remember that. It was still in high school, and, I've, and it did happen right after the, the holiday break, the, the old Christmas break, because we actually got off an extra couple of days because of that. So very true. A lot more people were watching TV. Uh, according to Meltzer, more than any other Monday in history of television. <laughs> and uh, apparently, uh, roughly 8% of them. Yeah, uh, apparently roughly, what, three? Uh, what are we going before? Yeah, 8%. Of those watching TV, were watching wrestling. It's crazy. That is insane to think about. Remember that blizzard? I got like three weeks of uh, Christmas vacation, and then like the two weeks after that, I was on a two-hour delay. So I had like five weeks of shortened school because of that damn blizzard uh, in my area. So um, thank you, Mother Nature. <laughs> and I'm sure uh, WCW and WWF were, were saying the th- same thing at that point. So, uh, oh, yeah. The real winner this week, Steve, is it Nitro with all the uh, solid wrestling action, or is it Raw with a little bit of everything? Um, so uh, I'm going to make a point here. That I thought it was really close, and I both companies were out to set set out to do some different things. Um, I thought the entering work of Nitro was far superior, but I also feel like WWF did a good job of hyping up you know, the new Rumble participants. You got the Vader vignette. The Steve Austin makes his debut. Um, they gave away a pay-per-view main event from a from in your house to show you what to expect from a WWF pay-per-view to entice you to buy some more in the future. So I, I think both shows accomplished what they sought out to do. Um, but I feel like Nitro was the better overall show just because of the live action and the matches. I mean, they, they had three really solid matches and compared to that, a bunch of vignettes, really no action, but I don't want to discredit how good raw was. Uh, and I feel like it's cheating. If you give away a pay-per-view main event, the caliber Brett and Bulldog, uh, <laughs> Uh, that's that's a little unfair <laughs> to go yeah. up against that, but WCW did a good job, I felt like. Yeah, it definitely drew in the fans, too. Not only were they just home because of the blizzard, but it certainly had to have generated more of more of the eyes on the seat sets this week, getting a world title match of that magnitude from a pay-per-view on, on free TV. And yeah, it did upset me whenever they did things like that because I paid for those things, so I'd already seen them. I wasn't necessarily upset that they were giving the way I had to pay for it and other fans got to see it for free. I was just upset. I felt it was lazy. It's like, I already have this. I, I recorded this. Show me something new. And that was the way I took it when I was, when I was growing up here in the 90s. But they did what they did. And obviously, if you're somebody who didn't order the pay-per-view, you probably loved the hell out of Raw over Nitro. You got that mm-hmm. great match. But I'm going Nitro, too. Just overall product wrestling in the in-ring product was a lot better, I thought, than Raw, who did offer some good things. But it was a little bit of everything storylines and vignettes and all everything made for a good TV show. The debut of Steve yeah. Austin, all of this stuff worked together to make a solid episode, but it was nitro individually had several solid matches. So I'm going nitro also as we move on into uh, the week of January 15th, WCW Monday nitro from Miami and the night center, 4,200 fans there, 3,100 paid. And I have no idea what the hell Pepe is wearing this week. I don't even think they let Mongo tell us this week, but it looks like he's Pepe's rocking a, a little visor of some sort. And we're off to the ring, and we kick the show off with the Macho Man Randy Savage taking on Lex Luger. What a way to kick off a show. I feel like we've already seen this repeatedly. In fact, I know we have, which I'll get to at the end of the match. Yeah. We already learned that Randy Savage will meet the winner of tonight's world title match next week, but wait a minute, didn't Randy Savage just wrestle Ric Flair for the world title on Saturday night? And now he's already getting another title shot next week? 
no matter who wins later between Sting and Flair, which uh, we'll get to that when we get to it, how many times we've seen that already. Yeah, say the least. Uh, as the match gets going, Lex Luger throws a chair into the ring to distract the Macho Man. He jumps Randy Savage from behind, pitches him to the floor. And the crowd this week is the opposite of last week. It seems very hot, the crowd very loud, and into this match at least, even cheering for Luger's offense. So you know they must be awake and alert if they're cheering for Lex, things Lex Luger's doing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. We wind up with Lex Luger and Randy Savage fighting on the floor. Lex wants to take the fight back inside, but Savage takes over, and Luger starts selling, and Savage throws him into the guardrail. Ah! Into the steel steps. Oh! And all that good shit that Lex Luger's selling. Uh, he should teach classes on that. That's one thing he should still be able to do. The Lex Luger class, uh, how to sell. As the, the action continues, back inside, finally, Randy Savage with a flying double axe handle for a two count on Lex Luger, but Savage winds up missing. The big diving elbow drop, and Luger picks him up and grabs him and hooks him in the torture rack, just like that, and it gets a giant pop. Lex Luger putting Randy Savage in the torture rack. I don't know if these people are just loving them some Lex Luger, or if they're just popping for the big finisher move being done here, but once again, we've seen it before. Randy Savage passes out from the pain. Lex Luger with a clean win over Randy Savage here in five minutes and seven seconds. The announcers act as if they can't believe it even though this now makes the fourth time Lex Luger has defeated Randy Savage. Well, isn't Luger from Miami, and they're in Miami, so he's the hometown guy. So that makes sense why they're popping for him, but this didn't make a lot of sense. Isn't the macho man from Florida too, brother? Uh Uh-huh, steroids. Not not Miami. (laughs) Luger played for Miami? Yeah. Luger played for Miami there for a a year, maybe. But uh, anyway... um, this didn't make a lot of sense. So Savage has come down the ring and they announced that he gets the winner of the main event. And so you job him out. <laughs> like, right. I didn't understand why he lost submission in the torture rack. It made no sense to me. This dude's supposed to be getting a title shot. So why is he getting a title shot and not Luger? Luger's beat him four times legit. And he's dominated Randy Savage, but he doesn't get any title shots. But oh, now, you, now you sound like Hulk off. Hogan. Now you sound like Hulk Hogan. Well, I just, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I'm me. not saying and, it does. Uh, <laughs> although, although to be fair, Randy Savage deserves his championship rematch, which he just got on Saturday night. So I have no... Exactly. So I, mean, I don't know, like, this started the tailwind of what the hell are they doing? They have absolutely no idea what the hell's going on. And, this uh, started it? I, I could go back to at least know, to 1989 and show you they have no well, idea what the fuck they're too. doing. Well, me too, but I'm talking about for this show. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I, I get knew you. I was going to be in for it when the very first match, they're messing up this bed. So um, I'm not trying to act like I'm smarter than everybody else in the building, which, to be honest with you, is not that hard for WCW uh, to outsmart them. But um, I just don't – why don't you want your number one contender to be put up strong? I don't – so he misses his – his elbow was nice. So I don't know. Like, they go crazy over how high he got on his elbow. And I think that's because they wanted to sell the fact that he's about to tap out real quick to the torture rack. Um, now, he didn't tap out. He passed out. Let's be fair to the macho man there. How many times are we going to do that spot? <laughs> that's like the third time out of the fourth. I feel, I feel like this is uh, not, not uh, I feel like this is not WCW booking. I feel like that this right here is Hulk Hogan booking, and I'll, we'll get to that at the end of the show. You think but, so? Okay. Well, I'm interested to hear why yeah. you can say that. 
And we'll continue on, though, with the, with the episode of Nitro. It was supposed to be Arn Anderson teaming with Brian Pillman of the Horsemen to take on Kevin Sullivan and Hugh Morris of the Dungeon of Doom. However, instead we see basically what's left of the Dungeon of Doom. It's the Giant and One Man Gang, Jimmy Hart, Zodiac, of course, Kevin Sullivan, all out to ringside as well as the Four Horsemen. And Arn Anderson says they, they all have a common plan. And it serves no purpose to fight among themselves. Arn says... There's no financial gain in this. There are no winners or losers, only survivors. There's no reason for this match, and Arn Anderson's basically saying that this match isn't going to happen. Let's point out that Arn Anderson comes down, and he's supposed to be wrestling, but he actually comes down in street clothes. So it's clearly he's not going to wrestle this match. It's something, this conversation that, believe this or not, took place backstage instead of in front of a camera, apparently. Uh, Pillman looks on, Mm -hmm. crazy as ever not really understanding what the hell's going on here. And Kevin Sullivan takes the mic, takes the microphone. He puts over Ric Flair, puts over Arn Anderson, but he calls Brian Pillman a punk who needs to learn respect. And Pillman gets crazy, gets on the mic, goes banana, as Pat Patterson would probably say. And Arn winds up slapping the shit out of Brian Pillman. You can hear that. Oh, Oh, he slaps the shit out of Brian Pillman. And Chris Benoit standing behind everyone. Doesn't seem like he likes Arn Anderson laying his hand on Pillman there. So it looks like there's uh, some separation, some issues already in the Horsemen. And you've just formed them. So this is way too early for this nonsense. But Pillman continues on acting crazy, looking crazy. Trouble in the Horsemen. I think Arn was trying to get a point across. Of course, this is going to end up being part of that whole alliance to end Hulkamania thing going on uh, at Uncensored, which we're going to get to when we get to it. But what did you make of all this? Oh Lord, <laughs> I I didn't mind it to be honest with you. I, I feel like a lot of the uh, the the stuff was dealt with in the back, so they just kind of cut to the chase out here, which was nice. I mean, thank in you, storyline mode or whatever. Um, it, it could have went a lot longer if they had to get <laughs> get through everything and hash it out in front of everybody. But Arn made all the sense in the world. He's like, if the ends don't doesn't justify the means, then there's no sense in doing it. If we're not going to make money off of it and if we're not going to get rid of somebody we don't like, then why waste our energy beating the shit out of each other? Yeah, and that was a very real Yeah, that was a very real way to look look at this. There's no financial yeah, gain said, to be made from wrestling the Dungeon of Doom. There's no titles at stake. There nothing is going to be accomplished. And even if they win, yep. they may have some casualties. So there are no winners or losers. They're just survivors, And said Arn Anderson. So he said it very well. No shock that Arn Anderson cuts a good promo. Yeah, I'm not shocked at all. And like they said, the whole goal is to keep Ric Flair on the having the belt. Because if he does, if he has it, then obviously Hogan and them don't have it, and that's the number one goal. Yeah, I, I thought Arn was excellent. And that slap, oh, my God. I don't know if you guys have seen it, if it's been a long time since you've watched it. Go watch it and listen to that slap. I think there's, I think there's some a shoot a little bit there to that because he, he, yeah, he slaps the, the, yeah, he slaps the and, piss uh, out of Pillman there. Oh, and, uh, it sounded painful. And, um, Pillman took it like a champ though. I will say that he kind of just looked at him funny a little bit afterwards, but that was pretty intense. Yeah. And they kind of hinted that Benoit was going the way of Pillman agreeing with Pillman in that, in that fact that, you know, when Arn Anderson hit him, Benoit didn't look like he cared for that very much. So that's why I said, they're starting these issues within the horsemen, or at least they're teasing these issues within the horsemen. And it's like, didn't these guys just form like two months ago? They're very rushed. But uh, we'll, we'll move on with the show. 
as the American males make their way to the ring to take on the debuting Public Enemy. Public Enemy, fresh off of their run in ECW. They were the, uh, I've said it before, there were no internet darlings back then, but there were after darlings. And certainly Public Enemy were at the top of that list in every single after magazine. You couldn't get enough of them, really, as far as the magazine goes. And then here they are in WCW. And what a team to debut against with this gimmick that Public Enemy have. The American Males, the exact opposite of what the Public Enemy are. And DeMeltz even says in his poll for the year-end awards, Public Enemy got most uh, got more first-place votes than any other tag team for Tag Team of the Year. Meanwhile, the American Males placed for worst tag team of the year. I don't know about that. I mean, she's Dick Slater and Bunkhouse Buck, the Blue Bloods. Uh, I'm not trying to shit on these guys and what they did in their primes, but they weren't they weren't knocking shit out here in not you know in 1995. But the American males are uh, even Meltzer uh, explains that the males are tons better workers than Public Enemy, which which is true uh, from a wrestling standpoint. As the match gets going, we see yeah. Public Enemy try to attack the males, but the males clear the ring. ECW fans had to be like, "What the fuck?" as they began watching this match, as the Public Enemy are forced to try to wrestle. Meanwhile, Paul E was probably laughing to himself. <laughs> Hey, at least they're getting paid. Yeah. Legit. Well, Paulie tried to block it. He tried to block the name, and they went over, and I can't say they <laughs> they were super successful in WCW, but here they are, and they are mainstream at this point. Uh, decent double teaming, I thought, from the males here early on, but the crowd not really into them, as there was even a few ECW chants breaking out early in the match. The American males honestly control most most of the duration of the match. With Marcus Bagwell, he's been looking halfway decent. At this point in his career, too bad that's going to change once once you know he joins the NWO and realizes he doesn't have to do a whole lot to, to once he's joined the NWO. <laughs> oh man! Finish wasn't very pretty though. Is uh, Mark, Marcus Bagwell with a shitty looking O'Connor roll on Johnny Grunge? I'm not really sure whose fault it was, but it looked like complete shit. And while the referee's distracted inadvertently by Scotty Riggs, Rocco Rock blasts. Bagwell from behind, and Johnny Grunge on top gets the cover, gets the win, public enemy. Pin the American Males, defeat the American Males in a shit finish and a shit debut in three minutes and 26 seconds. And there's only one saving grace saving grace of this match, and we'll get to that in a minute. I just want to hear your thoughts on the actual match first. Uh, yeah, this was terrible. Uh, it was shit. Sloppy, sloppy, sloppy. And I, it's not the Males' fault at all. Um, that Rocco and grunge they're used to working that ecw style and it was not working here and i also felt like this was another one of those head scratcher things because uh, as soon as the public enemy come out bischoff says this is a standby match <laughs> so these guys are making their debut and it's a standby match right they're not even scheduled to be here te- technically <laughs> they're just on standby in case something bad happens or they got enough time to put them out there not a very good way to get these guys over and get them debut, especially cold. We're going to make cold. I don't know. By this time has ECW been pretty, yeah, ECW is pretty prevalent down in Florida by this point. I don't know about Miami, but I know they they could go down to Florida quite a bit. But yeah, this was terrible, man. Garbage. Bad timing throughout sloppy spots, sloppy bumps. I would expect it a little more, but maybe they got so wrapped up into their gimmick and, and wrestling so long in ECW, they forgot how to wrestle a match because Rocco rock at one point was a, pretty solid wrestler he was the cheetah kid on the indies and he was before public enemy was an after darling the cheetah kid 
was an after darling uh, in the late eighties, early nineties. He was always in the after mags and like, kind of like that junior heavyweight style. Well, you've seen Rocco Rock. You know what he can do. So imagine him with a yeah. you know a few pounds lighter than he is here, and the capabilities he had you know back in those days. So and then Johnny Grunge. I mean, when he broke in, he wasn't he wasn't doing this. So he had to have learned how to wrestle to some degree prior to this, and this was just terrible from beginning to end. The males made it tolerable a little bit, but, man, I don't know. And then, uh, obviously, they finished the match with Public Enemy. On the floor, they wipe out both of the males, and they stack tables up. Steve and Rocco rock off the top rope with a somersault senton on Bagwell through the shitty plywood tables to the floor. And I'm, I'm being serious here. If you actually look and go back, you guys, and watch this episode of Nitro, after Rocco puts Bagwell through the tables, look at the tables. They've literally been assembled using nails and plywood. You can actually see the nails all around the outsides of the plywood <laughs> as, as they use these as their breakaway tables for the public enemy here and their debut match in WCW. At least they learned from the Sabu fiasco. Let's um, get non-gimmick tables. And we move on. It's main event time. And where have we seen this one before? WCW champion Ric Flair taking on Sting. And we've see, it feels like we see this almost every other week on Nitro. It's the same stuff. It's Sting with the Gorilla Press. Ric Flair does the flip up into the corner. They're back and forth. Nothing bad about it, but like I said, they're doing this every other week. So it's lather, rinse, repeat. Uh, Ric Flair takes over. We go through a commercial break. We come back. Sting... Misses a drop kick. Ric Flair tries for the figure four, but Sting counters into an inside cradle for near fall. The crowd is hot for this, Steve, even if it's a repeat of all the other matches they've been having lately. This was a solid crowd tonight in Miami from the beginning of the show to the end. Yeah, I think so, too. The old adage back in the day, you know, it may be old on TV, but it's the first time in your town. So even though you've been seeing it on TV, it's nothing like seeing it live. So. It's definitely special when you do get that opportunity to see it. The match goes on. Sting with several near falls on Ric Flair. He even pulls Ric Flair's trunks down. We saw that last week with Hogan, and now this week again with another cheap pop for Ric Flair, who always loved that spot. Sting with another gorilla press, and then a press off the top as he catches Ric Flair trying to come off the top rope because it's Sting versus Flair, so you can never have enough press slams. Sting tells Flair to keep chopping him as Ric Flair keeps chopping him. Sting continues to... No sell. And what do we get, Steve? A fourth press slam. Uh, it just felt like at that point they just didn't know what to do and they went into a, another press slam because it just seemed to come out of nowhere. And it's at that point that Jimmy Hart hops up onto the apron and Lex Luger's out re- very quickly to confront Jimmy Hart and keep him from interfering in the match, or so it would seem anyway. Lex gets up on the apron. He tries to tug away the megaphone from Jimmy Hart, and he does so. But as he does so, he kind of leans into the corner where Ric Flair's standing and Sting comes in for a Stinger splash, but he accidentally Stinger splashes right into the megaphone for lack of a better term. And Sting goes down. Ric Flair locks in the figure four and somehow Sting catching the megaphone to the chest knocked him out as Ric Flair gets a pinfall win over Sting uh, with the figure four leg lock in 13 and a half minutes. A great crowd for this one. Uh, The finish was very different. And they're continuing to tell that storyline. Uh, is Lex Luger purposely costing Sting these matches? Is it an accident again? And the only issue I had with the match was we had two matches now on the same show where heels get submission wins, but they're not really submission wins, by KO. 
So it felt like it was done twice on the same show. Obviously different finishes. Uh, this is twice. Luger has cost Sting the world title. Of course, it's Starcade technically. And once again, right here. And the announcers even played up, is it really by accident? Yeah, I mean, the match was <laughs> just like every other Sting and Flair match when we talked about it at nauseum. I mean, World War Three, Starcade, <laughs> every Nitro, it seems like. So there's really not much more you can say outside of the, the ending there. It was a little different. Uh, Luger actually hit his spot. You know, he's supposed to be out there at a certain time, and he actually came out on time. So good job there, Luger. I thought the, the finish was unique and different, but like you said, this is the second time we've seen it on this show. And how many times is Sting going to be screwed over by Luger before he finally figures out that Luger is screwing him over? But we so, never really do find out. If <laughs> we, we never know because NWO happens. And it's crazy that this thing started Halloween Havoc before then a little bit, and they run it all the way to July and don't ever get a finish. I don't know how you do that, but here we are. It is what it is at this point. I'm I'm kind of tired of seeing the match, to be honest with you. So we got Ric Flair in the ring taking advantage of the megaphone shot, the inadvertent supposedly megaphone shot uh, to Sting. Flair picks up the win, and immediately following the match, it's Hulk Hogan out to run everyone off and check on Sting, brother. And there's Hulk merch all over that front row again this week, Steve, as Hogan out to make the save because he's got a match coming up. Randy Savage out as well. And ha! Call the hotline, Mean Gene Okerlund with Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, and a groggy Sting. Hogan once again tries to convince Sting that Lex Luger's bad, brother. Stop hanging out with him, dude. Hulk Hogan also, as Sting walks off and goes and heals or whatever the hell it is Sting goes and does here, Hulk Hogan's left in the ring with the Macho Man. And Hulk exclaims to Savage that he has a problem with the Macho Man now. Ooh, is that right? Hulk says he's been on a roll, Steve. Meanwhile, Macho Man has lost to Luger four times in a row. Hogan again points out the belt still has the name Hulk Hogan on it. Because of course he does. And of course it does. It's Hulk Hogan. Hulk tries to make Savage out as the bad guy for signing a fucking title rematch. Get over yourself, egomania, brother. Savage says he's had enough of this shit. He'll see Hulk at the clash. Later, brother. So... A few issues I had with this here. It's all Hogan, obviously. He's given, he's given Savage shit for being offered a world title rematch and accepting a world title rematch. You shouldn't do that, dude. I can only do that, brother. So Hogan's pissed off at Savage for that. That doesn't even make any sense. And this is where I go back to the first match where I said, I think Hogan had a hand in this booking with Savage doing the job. Just so Hogan could come out here right now and say exactly what you said in the first segment of the show. You've lost to Luger four times. You're not as good as me. It just felt like Hogan did that on purpose. Like, I, I know I, you don't want a job to me, brother, but I'll, I'll have your job to Luger four times, and I can talk about being on a, a roll, dude. And that's basically what he comes out here and says, and he loves to continue pointing out that his nameplate is still in the WCW world title. And why is it still in the WCW world title? I have no idea. Uh, I don't even know if they ever change it. It's like, well, why bother changing it, brother? You know I'm just going to get it back eventually, dude. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I don't. That'd be pretty shitty if Hogan really booked that match just so he can come out and say that. I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't put anything past him at this point. Well, you see the way he's booking himself every week. Yeah, I wouldn't either. And that's the sad part. I mean, this is supposed to be your best friend, really. I mean, that's how he likes to portray it now. 
is that Savage was his boy and everything, but you're going to treat these people like shit. Well, they've been, they've had your back this whole time, it seems like. And that's not even storyline wise. This is real life. And um, Hogan is so far gone and out of whack and he's paranoid. And uh, you can tell, like you said, he's scared shitless because he doesn't know what to do to get himself back over. So it's kill or be killed. And he's killing everybody on his way to the top try to get himself over again and um this was this was horrible this is the most blatant over pushing of somebody that i've seen on any of these shows i mean I, it's pretty it's been pretty bad but for him to just come out and just flat out you've lost the luger four times dude you've sucked pretty much is what he said yeah uh you you have no business even in the ring with the champion uh you need to give it to me like hand him the title shot and i, I love yeah, and it's... response. he said uh my name's not nick bockwinkle <laughs> they just gave me the shot. I can't help that. Right. And uh, I don't know how Savage put up with it for as long as he did. I would have, I would have smoked his ass in the back. You know, just nail him. Uh, at some point, <laughs> you gotta get tired of it. I yeah. kind of wish that that uh, incident at WrestleMania Nine was legit. And uh, sure, Savage really did pop him one because he deserves it. Savage is a better man than I am, I guess. Yeah. So Hogan's not done for the night here, though. He's still got a match. And that's up next. He's taking on Ming, accompanied to the ring by Kevin Sullivan. And this match is all Haku on the offense. Kevin Sullivan even gets in a few shots. I think Hulk Hogan respects Ming. He knows what he can do to him in real life, so he sells for him all match. Hogan even bumps for Haku here. And pretty much everything he hasn't been doing for anyone else, except for maybe the Giant. Ming misses a top rope headbutt. Hogan makes his big comeback. Ming! with the golden spike to the throat of the Hulkster, but it's an immediate Hulk up on a two count. Kevin Sullivan tries to interfere, but Randy Savage shows back up. We thought he, were, he was leaving. See you at the clash, brother. No, he's still stuck around. He's out here for Hulk Hogan's aid, and that distracts the referee Randy Anderson long enough for Hogan to take the spike away from Ming, and he nails Kevin Sullivan with the spike. He nails Ming with the spike, and Hulk Hogan cheats to get the win in four and a half minutes over Haku. And how's that for respect? Or fear, brother. He didn't even use the leg drop to beat Haku. Too bad not everybody's Haku. <laughs> That's all I gotta say. <laughs> if Hogan knew he could get his ass kicked by somebody. What a wonderful world WCW would have been if, if half the roster had been Hakus. Right? I mean, goodness. And I, I we totally forgot to mention this in that interview segment. Mm-hmm. Hogan mentioned that Savage's arm doesn't look like it's 100%. So if you go oh, back but to World War Three. There's no issues with his arm. Now all of a sudden there's an arm issue because Hogan wants the title shot. This dude will do anything. Now that, now that the arm's no longer taped up, now there's an arm issue, according to Hulk Hogan. Yeah. He's, yeah. What, an, what an interesting creature. And, you know, as he shits all over Savage, and this is another thing I want to touch on, too, during that promo with Hogan and Savage, he shits all over Savage for about 80% of the promo, and then the final 20%, he's like, me and you, man, we're in this together. We're, we're, we're even Steven, brother. We're equals. And it's like, you just shit all over him and told him why you're better than him. And then you finish the promo by saying you guys are equals. Fucking Hulk Hogan. That's all I can say. Um, yeah. And I'll say this as we close the show. It was another 10-minute runover episode, by the way. Eric Bischoff uh, this week, he, he focused on WCW commentary rather than taking those jabs at the WWF. I don't even think I heard one this week. In fact, I heard Mongo try to set him up for a couple of lines two or three times in the show. And Bischoff basically ignored Mongo and continued to focus on the WCW product. And I thought it made for much better commentary and a much better WCW product 
overall, in my opinion, this week, just focusing on your own content. Yep. I agree 100% with that statement. I can't remember. I think it was before they even set up Nitro. Harvey Schiller, I think, is the guy that says, if you're too worried about the other guy, you never fix your own product. And um, uh, obviously, they don't do that forever. But, uh, you know, they they definitely should have took heed of those notes. And um, good for him for at least putting it away for a week anyway. <laughs> Segment of the night, Steve. Is it Savage and Lex Luger? Hulk? Uh, actually taking bumps for Haku, the debut of Public Enemy, or aren't slapping the shit out of Brian Pillman? I mean, by default, I think I went with Ric Flair and Sting. Uh, the arm slap was pretty damn tremendous, but I can't pick a one second a one second bitch slap. No, uh, to be the that was the that night. was meant for a joke, or may, maybe not. But, but uh, I mean, to be honest with you, it was the most real thing on the show. I'll tell you that. Now, there's just too much Hogan shenanigans on this episode he wasn't on the show a lot but his fingerprints were all over this and um by the time that interview happened i was done i was done with this episode it started off shit because you let your content your number one contender get knocked out by luger for the third time even lost for the fourth time you put your debuting public enemy on a standby match and then hogan just being a complete douche so i'll go with rick flair and sting just because it was the least messed up segment of the show i'll say that much yeah it was the only real wrestling segment after, after last week where we had a bunch of solid wrestling matches this week it was more hogan booked hogan heavy type uh show where we get all the big main event guys once again so you really have to go with sting and flair it was only solid lengthy match that told the story and yes it's the same match and we've seen it a hundred times but they can't do no wrong it, it seems like nothing super fancy about it but nothing bad about it either and compared to some of the other stuff we have on the show, it wins by default. I will say, you know what's crazy, though? Like you mentioned in the previous Monday Night Raw, how Jared and Hakushi, or Hakushi was kind of just going through the motions. Yeah. You figure with how much Flair and Sting have worked each other the last three or four months, that at some point you feel like they'd just be going through the motions. And I never really got that uh, in this match or any of their matches. They loved working each other, and yeah. he was never going to not be entertained by it and it was never not going to give you everything they had so you can never knock it i mean it's tiresome because you see it so much but it's not bad at all yeah flair always came with his boots working boots on and, and sting at least up until this point he always gave it his all as well so yeah another solid match between the two but i'd love to move away from that and see some new dynamics in, in the ring oh different matches anyway me too all that talent and we're getting the same shit over and over it's WWF Monday Night Raw for January 15th. It's the go-home show to the Royal Rumble, and this was taped way back on December 18th also. So five weeks ago, this was taped. This is the fourth week of taping, if that makes any sense to you. Of course, like I said, they they skipped Christmas, airing on Christmas, so this was taped five weeks ago. I can only imagine if WCW had taped things five weeks in advance, how much sense they would make after by the time you got to the uh, the fifth week of TV or to the pay-per-view, but that's for another debate and another day. And this is also Martin Luther King Day, and if you didn't know that, uh, we get the old same old uh, opening video of Mar- Dr. Martin Luther King on the screen, uh, on the on the screen uh, that Vince used for years and years. And uh, of course, Vince McMahon does the old voiceover, "Long live the dream," and shame on Eric Bischoff. I didn't even hear him mention Martin Luther King Day. Yeah, shame on you, Bischoff. <laughs> I'm not sure if this is the first time we see it, but it's the first time I've noticed it. We get the viewer discretion is advised logo popping up on the screen here to kick off the show. 
to let you know it's getting racy here on Raw. We're getting edgy with Sonny, yes. with Goldust, and other things as well moving forward. And tonight, we're going to have an interview with Goldust. Doc Hendricks thinks maybe not. Hendricks informs us that Razor Ramon is headed to Raw to confront Goldust. Why is he not already there? Pretty sure he was on this taping, Doc. Got stuck in the snow, man. Yeah, for sure, Chico. Marty Jannetty kicks the show off, taking on Owen Hart, accompanied the ring by Jim Cornette. It's a back-and-forth match to start off. Good stuff, as you'd expect from the two. Owen, though, lands the enziguri for a two-count. Owen controls the match through a commercial break and back, and Owen Hart runs to a boot in the corner. Marty comes out with a rolling diamond cutter, the old diamond dust-type move from Masato Tanaka. And Marty Jannetty gets a near fall on that. Marty Jannetty makes the big comeback, clotheslines Owen to the floor. Owen back inside, slides behind a suplex. We get some waistlock counters back inside. Owen finally with the backland bridge out of nowhere. And he gets the pin in about six minutes, counting the commercial. I thought the match started off solid, ended flat. It feels like Vince knows where Marty Jannetty's going at this point uh, with a finish like that. Yeah, I thought this was a pretty entertaining match. Like you said, it ended kind of flat. It probably would have been better if we seen what was going on during the commercial. Really good stuff. These guys can definitely go. We all know that. So it was cool to see them working each other. Todd Pettengill this week. He's in the Slam Jam room. And it's time for another Royal Rumble report. We learned that there's going to be a free-for-all this year as part of the Royal Rumble. It's a new concept as part of the Countdown pre-show. And there's going to be a match on that event. There's two wrestlers at the morning of the Royal Rumble. They're going to draw blanks rather than numbers and inside the tumbler. And those two will compete on the free-for-all. The winner will be number 30 in the match. The loser will be number one. So an interesting new concept. Of course, we did that watch along, and uh, it was uh, I thought it was a nice trend. I, I, I'm surprised they, they did it one and done. They never, they never tried this again. Yeah, I know they put up. I think they, they've had to have uh, put up spots on Raw some other times. But yeah, this match, an actual match where 30 and one was on the line. Uh, was definitely the first and only time they did it. And uh, this is a great idea. I liked it. And I was pretty excited to see it on the pay-per-view for sure. Also, as part of this uh, Rumble report, we see the Vader vignette one more time and a Diesel promo. Quick in and out there. Big Daddy Cool thinks he's going to win the Royal Rumble. We'll see about that. It's our first viewer discretion Sunny vignette. And she apparently likes to play pool. She likes to play with balls, Steve. And she says she likes it raw. And I'm so, sure and so it begins. <laughs> the sunny sure being used as a sex symbol, more so than a manager of the body donnas. We're off to the races. And back to the ring. It's the in-ring debut, at least on Raw, of the Ringmaster, Steve Austin, accompanied the ring by the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. Ringmaster, in his debut match, takes on Matt Hardy. Yes, that Matt Hardy, who is simply a young job guy here. And what's going on here, Steve? The ringmaster has a little bit of hair, green trunks, no goatee. This is not the Steve Austin everybody else would come to know in the WWF. Different look here uh, as Steve Austin makes his WWF debut. Just a little bit. Um, definitely different. Even the short hair is definitely different from what people are remembering from uh, WCW because he had that longer hair and, and, and things like that. So definitely a new look here for, for Steve Austin. <laughs> not the best either i'll tell you that but it is what it is he'll definitely evolve by the time we get to june 
Absolutely. And Austin actually gives Matt Hardy a few hope spots here, but he dominates throughout the match. We even He even busts out the old Thez press early on in his WWF run here, and I loved it. I had to mark out, landed the stun gun, and it even got a few pops from the crowd, fans who remembered him from the WCW days. And the Million Dollar Dream ends it. Steve Austin picks up the I'm sorry, the ringmaster, the Million Dollar Champion, the ringmaster, picks up the win here in four minutes and 35 seconds. And we learn that the ringmaster will be on America Online to chat with fans. I would, I can't imagine how that went. I, I said probably excellent. That's all I said. <laughs> well, well, if he was the one giving the actual responses, it may have been pretty damn entertaining, to be honest with you. But we can't really prove that he was sitting there, sitting there typing or telling someone else what to type. We go to a Shawn Michaels yeah. video. Shawn says, what can he do next to show the fans what they haven't already seen? how to keep his name stuck in the fans' mind when they leave the arenas every night. Sean says he was riding high, but got a reality check by those nine thugs in Syracuse. So we're back up to nine now. And we kind of get a rundown of the entire Shawn Michaels saga from that Syracuse incident throughout the Survivor Series and the Enzigiri kick, and will Shawn Michaels come back? And now we know he will be back. And he says he is back, and he will go to the Royal Rumble, and go on to WrestleMania. What did you think of this video package of Shawn Michaels? It was pretty good. Uh, I thought he did an excellent job of narrating where he came, where he's been and where he wants to go. And you feel like he's well on his way. You kind of knew. You could feel it right here early on, even before the Rumble, that this is where they were heading. He was going to be the champion. There's no denying him at this point. It's just a matter of getting there. This was solid. And again, yeah. another great video that they did. They've been on a roll with their video packages for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Between the billionaire Ted sketches, whoever's writing those. And then these Shawn Michaels videos and interviews and things, they're doing a really good job with uh, their non wrestling material lately. Absolutely. And well, it's doc Hendricks. Once again, he's walking around backstage and he says, razor Ramon is only a few miles away. I want to know what the hell, how the hell doc knows these things. Like, he gives us updates repeatedly throughout the show of how close Razor Ramon is to the arena. How is he figuring this out is what I want to know. This is long before today's, you know, uh, technology. Doc Hendricks, I, I don't know. This guy is something else. Cell phone, maybe? It's the WWF. They should have the money to afford a cell phone. Yeah, you might, you, you might be onto something there. We go back to the ring. It's the tag team champion smoking guns taking on the spiders. Any idea who the spiders are, Steve? They're a real tag team. I have no clue. Thrasher and Mosh, the headbangers, are these oh, okay. spiders here. And uh, for some odd reason, we're joined in progress. And this is a taped show, so woof. I, I, don't, I don't think it was because there were issues and flaws in the match. The headbangers have been teaming enough at this point. They even worked Smoky Mountain Wrestling. So I'm not, I'm not seeing issues with the match here. I just feel like <laughs> they didn't have time to fit it in and so we get exactly one minute of action as the guns dominate and the sidewinder. Billy Gunn gets the win in one minute. At least that's how much of the match we got to see. And we learned that Sonny has secured the Donnas, the body Donnas, a title shot against the guns at the Royal Rumble. I want to know, how did she secure that spot exactly, Steve? She used her assets, whatever the case may be. You can use your imagination. Yeah, and, uh, other, set, and, and other sets too. <laughs> yeah my biggest takeaway from that match i know it was only a minute long uh, it just shows they really care about their tag champs and their tag division if they're going to join their match in progress i know it's just a, a squash but man 
I, I guess you couldn't do it anywhere else, but why even put it on the show? And we've been closing Raw with those billionaire Ted sketches, but this week it's smack dab in the middle of the show, and for obvious reasons when we see what closes the show later on. But billionaire Ted, he's, he's bought a network. He's bought a World Series. I like that line. He's even bought library of classic movies, even colorized them, Steve. Why can't he buy the WWF? And it's because the WWF is not filled with greedy people like Scheme Gene, disloyal people like the Nacho Man, wrestlers from the 80s like the Huckster. And I love there where Nacho Man says, I started in the 70s, brother. And that's basically all we get out of this Billionaire Ted sketch, though. But it was another jab, obviously, at the actual talent. Hogan, Savage, Mean Gene Okerlund. Not just WCW as a company, but it really jabbed those three guys this week. Yeah, they're really laying in pretty thick. And I know this makes you wonder. I, I, I'm sure Gene's on the record how he felt about this. I don't think he was too happy. Obviously, I'm sure Hogan didn't like it. I don't know about Savage, but he probably didn't really care. Business is business to him, it seems like. But I'm sure they weren't too happy at all uh, with this. And uh, th- this one hit home for them guys. Yeah, this one was a good one, too. And then, of course, they, they close out the segment with uh, billionaire Ted pondering, what if they called the Huckster the boy toy? That would have been really interesting. Something. Yes. That would be something. And they've been hyping it since the beginning of the show. Vince McMahon conducting an interview with Gold Dust. And it is Gold Dust to the ring as Vince uses the word bizarre twice before Gold Dust even gets in the ring. So Vince always loved to push the word bizarre when he talked about Gold Dust. And no different here. And uh, Gold Dust does not disappoint. As the interview gets going, he asks Vince McMahon, mm, is that an extra microphone in your pants? Are you just happy to see me? And Vince's <laughs> disgusted face was <laughs> tremendous. Just phenomenal. Vince, oh, I, I love Vince. It's, his sell job throughout this entire promo of disgust is just hilarious. And Ooh. Goldust cuts a promo, obviously, on Razor Ramon. He's going to wrestle him for the Intercontinental title at Royal Rumble. Maybe he plans to do other things with him. I'm not really sure. But he, he tells Razor Ramon never to forget the name, Naughty Boy. And I just, even even as the promo ended, this man just stands there with his face and Lawler's laughing his ass off. Look at Vince's face. Ah! And I, I can't help but look at Vince's face. It is hilarious. Just a great sell job by McMahon. Great stuff from Dustin Rhodes here, who did a phenomenal job with the Goldust character and evolving it into what what it is right now at this point. And I even caught, did you catch the, catch the line at the end from Jerry Lawler? He says, Goldust is here. He may be queer. Get used to it. Um, and I was dying. And, and like you said, man, Vince's sell job was tremendous. Some of the best selling <laughs> in, of the whole night, to be honest with you. Oh, yeah. But um, I think it's kind of funny. Vince obviously created this guy, and this is what he was kind of going for. And Dustin gave it to him. This is what you want. This is what you're getting. I'm, you're, you're not exempt from getting this, too. So uh, that opening line about the extra microphone, yeah. that just started it off. And Vince's face from that moment on was priceless. <laughs> um, <laughs> just a really, really good interview. I don't know if it accomplished anything outside of character development and Vince just being able to sell. But, man, that was awesome. No, I think it was very important. I think it went a long way in getting the Goldust character over. I think uh, giving yeah. him that, that promo time in the middle of the ring like that. 
It was a really good job. And Vince being in there with him was what came out a lot better than, you know, the Brother Love show would have with Goldust. So it was really a good idea yeah, here dude. to to put Vince on here with Goldust. And well, it's Doc Hendricks one more time. He says Razor Ramon is pulled into the parking lot. How the fuck does Doc know exactly where Razor is? It feels like Doc Hendricks is the one stalking Razor Ramon, not Goldust. Back to I'm the ring. Too hard into this, but uh, uh, yeah, go ahead. I'm, with, I'm starting to wonder myself, though. <laughs> well, he it doesn't appear Doc has moved for the entire hour. He's still standing in this hallway, <laughs> but he knows every fucking move that Razor Ramon is making. Like every turn that Razor, he's in the parking lot, and then it takes him like 15 minutes to get in the fucking building. Apparently. He's uh he's opening the door using his binoculars. <laughs> it's nineteen ninety six. That's really the only way we can track somebody. That's all that's all you got. <laughs> Back to the ring for the main event, if that's what you want to call it. It's the Undertaker taking on the future brother, Kane. Uh here he's simply a dentist by the name of Isaac Yankum, DDS. Yankum tries a cheap shot to get things going. Undertaker t- stops him, takes over eventually, tries a tombstone, but Isaac Yankum escapes to the apron and out to the floor. Jerry Lawler attacks Paul Barry, tries to steal the chain. It's not quite yet an urn. It doesn't become an urn until the Royal Rumble later that week. So it's still the chain because the Undertaker's really just got to remember this was taped over a month ago. Uh, so Lawler tries to take the chain, but Taker chases Lawler off. He's chased away. And thank God somebody else didn't steal the urn, the chain, whatever you want to call it. I was scared there for a minute. I'm like, no, no, let's not do this again. We saw that all of 1995 playing keep away from the undertaker with that damn urn. So no, the undertaker keeps it in possession of Paul bear. However, this does allow Isaac Yankum to take over due to the distraction from Lawler on the undertaker. They tried to do a reverse tombstone spot. And what I mean by that is it looks like Yankum's going for the tombstone when the undertaker reverses it, but they clearly fucked the spot up as they cut away for no reason to show Doc Hendricks pacing backstage for all of three seconds. We cut back, and Isaac Yankum's just laying there, presumably from a tombstone. And then for no reason, the Undertaker drops an elbow drop and hits a second tombstone to get the win in eight minutes. It's funny. I never really noticed that before, the missed spot where they cut the dock, but uh, I was re- we read about um, the match between Sid and Skull Hall and the grenade <laughs> where they said they cut to the fans to hide some spots and to cover up how terrible it was. So as soon as I saw that, that's what came to my mind. I'm like, oh. They're just hiding a spot. This is tape. We really can't go back and do it again. And uh, so we're going to hide it a little bit. So, um, yeah, not too often you get that in an Undertaker match. But, um, yeah, this was a decent little match. Once Lawler got out of there, and I think Yankum was starting to look good a little bit inside the ring. Um, he's progressed a little bit from where we first saw him. So um, not a bad little match here. No, and Taker was a big proponent of Vince bringing – Glenn Jacobs into the WWF because Undertaker went to down to Smoky Mountain for the Super Bowl of Wrestling in the summer of 95 and worked the Unibomb character. So when he heard Vince was actually going to bring him in, he was excited. Oh, great. I get to work with this guy again. And then he saw Vince made him a dentist. And I think Taker went to Vince and said, oh, man, you're not making this guy a dentist, are you? So that's basically what, you know, what happened there. But you know how the story goes. And it works out OK for Mayor Glenn in the, in the end anyway. And uh, it's as we close up the show, the Undertaker gets the win, one big win over you know a mid card star, if you will, heading into the Royal Rumble as he goes for the world title and Bret Hart. But that's not how we close the show. Oh no, it's Doc Hendricks yet again. Well, this time he has Goldust with him, 
and they're in the locker room, or no, they're, actually they're in the hallway backstage, I apologize. Goldust has Razor at the Rumble, and we learn he has Bret Hart next week for the world title, or if, if Bret Hart's still champion, on Raw. So Goldust has a big couple of days coming up next week. Uh, but Goldie doesn't get a whole lot out before Razor Ramon arrives. He attacks, and he stiffs the shit out of Dustin Rhodes, beats the living hell out of him, whipping him into walls and guardrails and lockers or whatever the hell that was on the wall and just throws him into everything before Goldust finally catches Hall, uh, Razor Ramon, with a low blow. And we kind of end the segment there, at least for now. What did you think of this initial segment between Goldust and Razor? Very realistic. Like, Razor was <laughs> stiffing the shit out of him, I thought, taking some liberties yeah. on him and, and taking some of this uh, uh, passive-aggressive shit out on on Goldust for having to be involved in the storyline, which we've went on record already. Scott Hall was not a fan of. He didn't want anything to do with this storyline. No, absolutely not. And I remember this as a kid, and I, I, I didn't know. Like, obviously, you don't know. Razor didn't like this unless she was reading The Observer. But it felt so real and authentic that mm-hmm. I was kind of buying into this story that, you know, he legit was not comfortable with what Goldust was doing. And then again, who would be if if uh, you don't really want people coming on to you and things like that. So Sean or Razor it felt real and authentic and he was laying in those shots and uh, you could feel it. Yeah. So you actually felt for poor gold dust, huh? Back in uh, 1996. <laughs> a little bit just because it just, they looked like real shots. You don't really expect that too much. And <laughs> yeah. You, well, you, you know, I think, them. I think I hear them and the oh, yeah. from the wall and, and the electric box and just everything that he got ran into the trash can got destroyed. <laughs> So, I mean, he he went through the gamut, and knowing now what I didn't know then, like, it was it was real, and Razor was laying it in and sticking it to Dustin when he really shouldn't have. It's not Dustin's fault. He's just doing the gimmick, like we've mentioned numerous times. So, uh, it's kind of shitty the way Razor treated him, but it comes across very good, very authentic. And, yeah, I think um, I even remember. very memorable sake. Right, and I think I remember even reading in The Observer, uh, Meltzer said something along the lines of, that was the stiffest thing he's ever seen in the WWF. And then he corrects himself. No, that was probably the stiffest thing I've ever seen anywhere, <laughs> you know, because of the re the realism of it, the way razor is really whipping gold dust into everything that, that was nailed down. And yeah, it was pretty rough, pretty rough on old poor Goldie there. Yeah. And uh, as we continue on with the show, it's sunny. Once again, this time she's in a bubble bath, Steve. And she announces that we did it for an hour as she washes herself off in the bubble bath. And she says, now that's raw. So we did it with Sonny for an hour here on raw this week. Yep. And this is why it's parental discretion advised at this point in the world wrestling federation. Yes, absolutely. But after all of that, the show still isn't over as we cut backstage one final time for like what feels like the 46th time. With Doc Hendricks, as Goldust is trying to leave, he's putting on his gold coat. As Razor Ramon is back, and he attacks Goldust one more time, this time they take the fight through the uh, exit door. And Oh, man, he even whipped him through the exit door. As Goldust goes uh, crawling through the snow, big piles of snow. And that was so cool. I, I think we I talked about that on the actual Royal Rumble watch-along. But that was so cool. I'd never seen an outside brawl or a, a brawl of that magnitude. Like you said, it was all real. I had never seen anything that legit before the, the, the initial fight that they had. And then it continued, and then it continued outside into the snow 
of all things. I was just, I was just marking out huge for this. This really got me excited as the show was closing. Goldust takes off, gets into his getaway car, and as he takes off, there just happens to be a trash can there that Scott Hall throws at the car as Goldust peels away. And some serious heat. Great setup for their match at the Royal Rumble. Yeah, I agree completely. Uh, this is one of my favorite segments of all time. <laughs> I don't know if you picked up on it, but Doc said, oh, shit. Oh, yeah. Didn't cut it. No, they didn't edit it. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't edit that out, and I thought that was pretty funny. Because Doc was right there, and he probably was feeling like, oh, damn, he's laying it in. And uh, Yeah, I think Michael Hayes has been it. around long enough to know the difference between a, a work and a shoot, especially <laughs> since he, he barely wanted to work, much less shoot. Right, so he, he knew what was up, and hearing that just kind of adds to the mystique of this angle. This makes you wonder if Hall ever bought Gold Dust a beer long down the line. <laughs> Sorry about that, man. Um, but no, this, this segment was awesome. It's one of my favorite segments of all time as far as the WWF goes for Raw uh, because it's so memorable because of how real it was. And um, I couldn't wait for their match at the Rumble. Well, I was going to ask you what the segment of the night was, but I think you just told us. I was going to say, is it Marty Jannetty and Owen Hart? Is it the debut in the ring of the ringmaster? Was it getting raw with Sonny? Or was it the Razor and Goldust fight? But I think we got our answer from you. So it was the Razor, Ramon, and Goldust brawl, the two-part brawl here that really sold you on this episode. Absolutely. And I think, I know we kind of made fun of it here with Doc, like how the hell does he know where he's at? But Doc hyping it up that Razor's here and he's pissed. Right. It just kind of added to it. And by the time he got there, you just couldn't wait to see what he's going to do. And it didn't disappoint. So no, and I, I spent the entire I spent this entire episode making fun of Doc Hendricks and cutting to Doc Hendricks repeatedly. But it was pretty. Di- it was different. It was pretty cool that we were getting these updates and we were kind of waiting to see what was going to happen. And then we hear that no razor is here. Something is definitely probably going to happen. And then something does happen. It that did not disappoint. So uh, for that that brawl alone, easily the segment of the night for me as well. One of the most memorable things at the time. And this was yet another step in that direction of not just getting more edgy, but changing the game. Never seen anything like that before. Maybe never again, to be honest with you. That level of uh, shoot beatdown going on b- back there with, with Goldust and, and Razor Ramon. And I'm not going to be complete Mark here, as somebody might go, well, you know, Goldust allowed him to. Th- yes, he did. He gave his body to Razor Ramon and allowed him to do whatever he wanted to do with it. So Goldust did run into those things 100 miles an hour without without trying to you know brace himself, yes. But at the same time, man, holy shit, what he did for the business and what he did for himself to, to you know get over, and kudos to him for not complaining and just going ahead like a trooper and, and all that good stuff. So definitely, definitely easily hands down the segment of the night for me as well. Absolutely. And... The ratings are in, and we learned that WCW Nitro had its biggest victory to date in the Monday Night War, topping WWF Raw with a 3.5 rating, 3.5 and a 5.0 share to the WWF's 2.4 rating and their 3.5 share. They did more than a point higher rating, 3.5 to 2.4. I'm kind of surprised, to be honest with you. I thought Raw on the 8th was a pretty good show, and they did a nice job of setting up this show. And I don't maybe that Doc stuff didn't work, where they tell my Razor's coming, and uh, he's pissed. 
And I think Doc even mentioned during one of those that all hell's going to break loose when he got when he showed up. So I, I can't wait for that. So I wasn't going to miss it. And um, so I, I was part of that 2.4 for sure. Well, I know I can verify that I saw that as it was happening because, you know, there was some nights, you know, Raw was, we've, we've covered plenty of them, snoozers, but there were some nights when I went to bed, Steve, you know, get, you know, it's, I couldn't sleep. I was so excited, so pumped. What a way to end the show. I, I needed more. I need, you know, holy shit. Did you just see that? And so it was, you know, it's kind of worked up, excited really as mm-hmm. Raw ended this week. And I remember vividly seeing that as it happened. And DeMeltz says, in regards to the ratings, DeMeltz says, the margin of victory, the largest to date by either side, prompted Eric Bischoff to call Vince McMahon. Of course, Vince did not take the phone call, and instead Bischoff left a message with the secretary telling Vince to continue whatever it is he's doing with the billionaire Ted skits. Basically, Bischoff giving Vince credit for their rating, suggesting that Vince advertising WCW was causing more people to tune in. WCW and uh, now but Meltzer says between the two live shows Raw and Nitro they combined doing a 8.5 share of the television audience the entire television audience Monday night all of which are record figures for the past several years of total numbers of people watching pro wrestling at any given time so even though you know this is not the greatest era in professional wrestling Arguably, with the Hulk Hogan nonsense going on in WCW and Vince trying to find the new WWF style, there's still there, there's still a fan base here, a fan base we don't have in 2021. Absolutely not massive fan, eight and a half share. That's insane. Um, <laughs> they jumped up a point five in one week. Uh, so I don't know where these people are coming from or what they're doing to draw them in, but. Uh, it's just crazy to think, and I, I don't buy the, the Bischoff logic that really the billionaire Ted skits or what doing it. I, I highly doubt that. Because that's yeah, the case, how can I think that was just uh, every week? No, that's Bischoff nothing. trying to figure out a way to uh, reverse psychology them. on Vince to get him to stop airing them. Oh, yeah, let's, let's say it was this. Sure. Well, it doesn't work anyway. Vince continues to air him all the way through WrestleMania. Yeah. Nevertheless, but yeah, it's, it's very, I had to, I had to look twice. I had to make sure it wasn't a typo. The ratings this week. I mean, they've been pulling in both shows have been pulling in solid two point, you know, sixes and well, 2.5, six, sevens, things of that nature. All of a sudden jumping all the way up to a 3.5 here. And it's not even coming off of a pay-per-view. So I'm not really sure what did it, but obviously football season's over. So that might help both companies a little bit for at least the next seven, eight months. But uh, anyway, Steve, the real winner here this week, was it Nitro or was it Raw? You tell me. Uh, I'm going with Raw. <laughs> I, I think I just didn't care for all the shenanigans in Nitro. Um, uh, I'm tired of the matchups, the same matchups over and over. Uh, and I nothing, there's nothing on either one of these shows that has been more memorable to me than the, the Gold Dust Razor Ramon Brawl. And um I, like you said, I've never really remembered this as a kid. So if it has an impact 25 years later, then absolutely um, it has to be the winner by default. I'm going with Raw. Yeah, and I have to go with Raw just on those segments alone and, and some of the other things they, they started trying here. Steve Austin's obviously in the ring now. Jannetty and Owen was okay. Like I said, it felt flat on the finish, but not not a bad little match. But yeah, I got it's really just Goldust and Razor Ramon here that knock it out of the park for me and kill Nitro simply because 
it's you know what it's really odd neither promotion seems to have a consistency with not just the fans of the time but us we're flipping nitro to raw week to week on the same episode of monday warfare there's no consistency it's not like nitro's doing something right for two months straight or vince is doing something right for two and a half months straight or anything like it's it's back and forth and that's what really makes it the battles with them because we watch them go back and forth seeing what they can throw out here on tv to win over the fans and so last week it was nitro on the 8th the 15th clearly raw and i i agree with you 100 percent here you really can't top the gold dust and razor ramon segments at the end of the show yeah absolutely not and like hogan is forcing himself down our throats and, and i'm i'm still like yeah. What the hell did they do to pull that rating? Yeah, I don't know. You know, you scroll back up. And you, it wasn't even an eventful show. It didn't even win uh, uh, like us, like the real winner. We didn't decide upon it. Not that we are the end-all, be-all decision-makers, but typically we go with the one that was, you know, the better product after the fact. The fans don't really have that luxury going in. They don't know what's going to happen on the show. We do, and so we typically, I think we go along with what, what the average fan, the casual fan, uh, or at least the fan of that time would probably agree was the better show each week. And I'm just not seeing it. I, I don't understand Hogan and Haku and Luger and, uh, you know, we've seen Sting and Flair a thousand times, Luger and Savage. I, I don't see I it. Mean, I, I guess you turn on the TV and you got Owen and Marty and Eddie, and then you got Luger and Savage on the other. So that sticks around. And then if you happen to stick around long enough, you see that public enemy spot. Okay. So you're hooked in that. And all of a sudden you got Ric Flair and Sting. So like, I can see it a little bit. Like, there's no really lull to where you're going to turn turn the channel, and if you're into those guys on Nitro. But uh, me, I, I've kind of always been a WWF guy, and like I said, Doc talking about Brazer all night just made me tune in. I had to see that, and I'm glad I didn't turn the channel. Yeah, well, I think <laughs> so. I think what confuses me the most is we are getting these matches every week on Nitro. These are not new matches, yeah. so. If people are just flipping along and they say, oh, Randy Savage or Hulk Hogan or Sting or Flair, they're seeing those guys almost every single week. So there's nothing new here for them to pull in basically an entire extra half of a, a point in rating here, a point five at least, if not more, certainly a lot more than, than their average rating, which is, I think Meltzer had reported before, it was somewhere around, at this point, uh, their average rating up to this point was like a 2.5 or something like that. So, I mean, this is a 3.5. It's uh, really know. crazy. Mind-boggling. Mind yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with the ratings as things go on here. Maybe they'll continue to just pick up and, and stay at this level for a while anyway. I don't know if this is all football-related or if there's more to it than that. We'll, we'll find out here pretty soon. But, Steve, man, it's uh, been a tough one. For those who yes. don't know, we've had a lot of uh, issues with uh, Internet issues throughout this episode. So it was a task to get through, but we needed to get it done, and it's done. And it was another fun piece of wrestling history especially that Razor and Gold Dust segment. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's one of those things I can't wait to talk about, and um, we made it. And I, I'm I'm really, really pumped for next week's episode. Uh, that's a huge, and I'm not going to get into it too much, but that's a huge Monday Night Raw, and I can't wait to discuss that one either. So yeah, um, just here we are. One quick final note before we go. You guys know that what we just finished here, that episode of Raw, it was the go-home show to the WWF Royal Rumble 96 pay-per-view. And typically, we put all of the pay-per-views, as you guys know, that are complimentary pieces to the Monday Warfare show on our Patreon account over at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. However, for this time and this time only, just as Vince gave away his In Your House main event on free TV, 
we're giving away the WWF Royal Rumble watch along over on our sister show, The Wrestling Memory Grenade. It's already out. Episode 20 of The Wrestling Memory Grenade was released just after New Year. And you guys can go listen to that right now. And it's free of charge. No money. Just remember, you guys, we do want you guys to go over to our Patreon account, though. Subscribe. This is just a small taste. The Royal Rumble, the watch along, just a small taste of what you're going to get over at the Patreon account. And we hope you guys really enjoy it. We had a lot of fun doing the Royal Rumble watch along. We didn't just do the pay-per-view. We did the free-for-all. It was a blast. Three and a half hours of nonstop fun for me and nostalgia and reliving my, my, my youth. Yeah, same here. It was a great time. I learned some things I didn't know. Uh, especially about Steve Austin. I'm not going to give it away, but if you don't know, then definitely go check it out on the Memory Grenade. Um, it ties everything in together, like you mentioned, our Patreon account, Monday Warfare. It's World Rumble season. Uh, it's January. That's that's always Rumble time. We checked off a lot of boxes with that one, so I hope everybody enjoys it. Hope they go in and listen. Yeah, it, it, it was fun. And just like Monday Warfare, you guys can check out the Wrestling Memory Grenade anywhere you go on your podcast streaming apps, Spotify, Google Pod, Apple Podcasts. Pretty much you type it in and we should pop up just about anywhere that's uh, who's who and uh, podcast streaming apps anyway. And of course, you can always go to WrestleCopia.com as well. Check us out there. Download the show there. And Steve, man, I want to appreciate I, I want to say I appreciate you once again joining me for another episode of Monday Warfare here. Yeah, it was a little spotty and in and out, but we made it. Uh, it is happy to be here, man. Well, hopefully by the time I, I use my great editing skills, those listening at home will be like, what, what is he talking about? I didn't, I didn't notice many issues, but let's hope for that hopefully. anyway. <laughs> yeah, so, but I appreciate you, Steve. And I appreciate you guys once again, tuning in for the 10th time now, 10 weeks in to Monday warfare, the battles within. And we'll be back again next week with two more weeks of nitro, Two more weeks of Raw. It's the fallout from the Royal Rumble. It's all around the Clash of the Champions for January 1996 as well. That'll be a doozy over at Patreon.com as well. So until then, this is Ray Russell. And for Steve Ekstad, we'll see you next time on Monday Warfare, The Battles Within. (laughs) 